Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This week's guests are former Michigan basketball star Nick Stauskas and BTN staffers Harold Shelton and Bill Friedman. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh, my Nick Stauskas in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. You can build a solid foundation in the strategic, creative, and analytic skills that are essential for success in the business of sports in the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Now, Nick Stauskas. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Michigan basketball star, uh, five-year NBA vet, played his most recent year of basketball in Spain. It's Nick Stauskas. Nick, how's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me on today, man. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it. Um, you know, first off, just want to get an update on how you're doing. Uh, I know we chatted about a month ago, but uh, I know you're injured in Spain. So how's your rehab coming along and just everything else that's going on in the world? How are you managing it? Uh, things have been good so far. I mean, as, as good as they can be, you know, during these crazy times. Um, but yeah, my main focus has just been my rehab. Like I had surgery towards the end of February. Um, so I've just been rehabbing every day. I have kind of like a fitness room set up here um, at my house. Um, but obviously for me, the toughest thing has been like gym time. Um, you know, obviously not a lot of gyms are even open, uh, especially in this area right now. I'm in New Jersey where things are, are still kind of rough. So um, yeah, these are challenging times, but you know, I feel good right now. My rehab's uh, progressed a long way. Uh, I'm running and jump again, feeling comfortable. So uh, just trying to you know, prepare mentally and physically for, for next season, whenever that's going to be. All right. All right. Good to hear it. Um, you know, one of the reasons I, I reached out to you and wanted to have you on is because we're doing a all-decade uh, project, I guess you can call it, at BTN, where, where there was a panel, 24 people, if anyone hasn't seen it, that has voted on the best basketball players of the previous decade and the best football players, which is going on this week. So last week, the basketball team came out. Um, you were not selected, but you did make your feelings known on an Instagram comment on the BTN Instagram page. Uh, I'll, I'll just quote it straight from your words here. Uh, you said, I would make one small change, but I'm not biased or anything after you saw you were left off the uh, 15 or 16 member three team selection. So you know, I know you're just having fun with it. You know, we love that kind of engagement, obviously. But on the other hand, you're probably a competitive guy. And, you know, when you see yourself left off and only one Michigan player made it, Trey Burke, um, on any of the three teams, like what's your genuine reaction? there? I mean, it's not that big of a deal to me. I was uh, kind of just – I like to stir the pot a little bit. Uh, I thought it was going to be fun to do that. Um, but, no, all those, all those players on there are great players. I just felt, you know, if we're judging off of – our time at those schools, not post-career, nothing, just at our time in college. I felt like my sophomore year when I was Big Ten Player of the Year, um, you know, I could compete with any one of those guys. Um, and again, you know, everyone has their opinion, so I'm, you know, I respect that. Um, I just felt like, I'm, you know, my second year at Michigan, I felt like I was playing at an elite level. Um, and yeah, that's just my opinion, so. All right, so full disclosure, I was one of the voters. I don't know why they picked me, like, that should discredit 
the panel right there. But uh, I, I did have a vote. And to let you in on the background of what we did for the process, they only had us pick 10 players. Okay. And so the third team was a list of guys that people had picked in their, their top 10. So if, you know, may, maybe that, I don't know, I don't want to say skewed the voting a little bit, but I do see guys among those 16 players that like you were better, than, better at basketball than like straight up, like you had a better pro career and a better college career, like you said. So, you know, you never know when you get those panels. And it's one of the things that, that we love, right? It's like creating debate. Um, but I would agree with you. I mean, you were probably the biggest uh, snub in the replies when people were complaining, you know, not just from former players, but people, people uh, definitely agree with you. So I know, you know, that may not make you feel any better, but we appreciate you stirring the pot there. No, it's, it's, all, it's all fun and games. And, uh, you know, that's why we debate. Everyone has different opinions. Absolutely. And, you know, you, like you said, you were dominant at Michigan, Big Ten Player of the Year, drafted eighth overall um, by Sacramento and have, you know, played – in your NBA career for mostly rebuilding franchises. So I do want to talk a little bit about your NBA career. Um, you know, some of those teams, like Kings, like I mentioned, the Sixers, the Cavs. Uh, so just, you know, taking stock at right now in, you know, mid, mid-20s, mid how would you evaluate your NBA career to this point? And was it difficult to kind of get going uh, and get momentum among all those rebuilds that you were a part of? Yeah, it was, it was a tough transition for sure, especially that, you know, my rookie year with Sacramento. Like, I honestly – you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. And I, like, you know, college is a lot different than the NBA, but, you know, certain situations in the NBA are obviously, you know, different than, you know, playoff situations. And like, I look at my rookie year with Sacramento and like we had three, we went through three coaches that first year. And like, it just seemed like everything was so chaotic and different than what I was used to at Michigan, where like, you know, Coach Beeline had this, he had this program, everyone bought in and everyone was like a family. And I remember I got to Sacramento and I was like looking around and just like seeing the chemistry, seeing the vibe of the team. And I'm like, man, this isn't a family at all. Like no one likes each other. Everyone's like talking behind each other's back. People are getting fired left, right and center. You know, we're getting blown out by 30 every night. Um, so that was like a huge wake up call for me coming in the league. It was humbling, just like, bam, like you experience that all at once. And like, for me, I had high, I had high hopes and high expectations. Like I'm a guy who, you know, I set the bar high for myself. So I was, really disappointed with my rookie year and then you know I get traded to Philly and you know Philly I would say maybe not as chaotic as you know Sacramento was but you know we were not a good team at all like my first year in Philly we were 10 and 72 and um, as a player I mean any player who plays you know you're not used to losing all of us you know come from high school and colleges where we were competing at the highest level and we're used to winning so when you get put in that situation where you're night in, night out, getting, you know, getting beat, getting humiliated, it'll take a toll on you, definitely. And, you know, you, I look over the last five years that I played in the NBA and it was, it was tough because other than my time in Portland, you know, which I only played half a year, I had never really been on a winning team or, you know, winning organization. Uh, so there was never any, it felt like there was never any consistency in the way things are going because I felt like those those organizations, those teams are, you know, scrambling to find something that, that works. And if it's not working, they keep changing things up. So uh, that was a definitely, that was definitely a, a hard part, but it was, it helped me, you know, like I've, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about, you know, basketball. I've learned, you know, I feel like I've grown up a lot, you know, throughout that experience. So, um, you know, now that I'm getting myself back healthy, obviously the goal is to, to get back to the NBA and 
Um, you know, my dream is still have a, to have a successful NBA career. My dream is still playing the playoffs, compete for championships. You know, I know that's something um, that I'm capable of doing. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm a highly motivated guy. So, you know, I'm going to keep chasing that and, you know, hopefully we get back there. You mentioned some of the situations. Um, was there one in particular where, you know, maybe you were traded or things didn't work out that left you wanted, wanting more? You know, I, I saw you play uh, in Philly and I remember you had a good game. And I know that was uh, part of the whole trust the process thing going on there. And then, you know, you mentioned Portland. I think your first game you had 24 off the bench. And I remember watching that game because it was, I think it was LeBron's Lakers debut. Yeah. Um, so, you know, which scenario, if you could point to one or two, would you say that was maybe more, most out of your control that you wish you had more time or a different opportunity? Man, the, the one that hurt, like, the one that hurt big time was getting traded from Portland to Cleveland. Like, that one, that one really hurt because I had signed, I had signed the one-year deal there, and I had started the season so well. Like, the first two months of seeing, like you said, that opening night – and I kind of carried that in through the first two months of the year. I'd been playing so well. And um, I just didn't think, you know, for me, like I said, I hadn't played on a playoff team. And like, I, I had this mindset all year, like, I'm going to be competing something. I'm going to be competing for something this year. Like, this is going to be the year where, um, you know, I'm going to play in the playoffs. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to make a name for myself. I'm going to be a part of something special. And when you get blindsided like that, like there was no heads up, no nothing. It was literally just like, you know, we, we finished practice one day and I'm shooting free throws out of side basket. And I hear, hey, Nick, can I talk to you? And I turn around and, and it's, you know, the GM. And this was like three days before trade deadline. And like right away I knew, like I knew that when he pulled me over, he was going to tell me, <clears throat> he was going to tell me that he traded me. And um, yeah, that one, that one hurt because I wanted to see that year through. Um, I wanted the opportunity to play in the playoffs and be a part of something special and getting traded to Cleveland, it was like, damn, I'm right back to like, you know, the rebuilding, chaotic, everyone for themselves kind of team. And that was, that was tough to deal with, for sure. That was really tough to deal with. And not to mention, at the time, my fiance, she had just moved to Portland with me that year and was enrolled in uh, law school at Oregon. And so like, for me, it, was, it wasn't just about myself anymore. I'm like, damn, like my fiance just moved here. She just enrolled in school. Like now I got it. Like we were, you know, it was, it's more than just basketball at that point too. It's just your, the inconvenience of your life of just like literally picking up your bags mid-season and going. Um, and not only going, going across country from Oregon to Ohio. So that was, uh, that was a tough one. Yeah, man, everything's uprooted. That's, that's brutal. Um, speaking of Cleveland, I was on a Zoom, like I, I referenced earlier with you and Coach Beeline was on it month or a month and a half ago uh, for a different project. And, you know, the chemistry between you guys was obvious. You know, you guys obviously got along um, and or at least were good at pretending on the Zoom call that you got along. And, uh, you know, you guys both accomplished really great things in Michigan. You both have NBA experience now. So what was your reaction when you heard, having been in Cleveland yourself, uh, that he was going to leave Michigan and, and try and coach the Cavs in the NBA? Um. I was excited for him. Like I was excited for him to get that opportunity to coach the NBA because I know it's something, I know it's something that um, he's thought about for a while. Like I remember after my first year in the NBA, I, I went, actually went back to Michigan for an entire summer. Like I moved back to Ann Arbor and cause I was like 20, 21 years old. You know, I, I kind of wanted to be with everyone. I wanted to train at the facility still. And I remember I used to sit down with coach B and we used to go to lunch and he would tell me, he was like, man, I really want to, I really want to coach in the NBA. Like, I really want to give it a try one time, but like, you know, I, 
the timing's got to be right. I don't know. Like he was thinking about it. And I told him, I'm like, it's especially after what I experienced in Sacramento that year, like that was fresh in my mind. I know how coach B likes to, you know, not a control freak, but he likes to have guys that are going to buy into a system and that's how it works. Everyone needs to buy into a common goal. And, um, I told him, I'm like, it's, it's different there. They're not going to listen to you and buy in the same way that, you know, these 18 year old kids coming into Michigan. will. and, um, but obviously his X's and O's, the basketball part, like the understanding of offense and the way the game works, it's his knowledge is off the charts. It's, it's more, uh, I told him it was more of like an ego personality thing that you're going to be dealing with once you get to the NBA. Like you have guys making a lot of money, there's entitlement, there's all these different things that aren't necessarily there at Michigan that you don't have to deal with. So, you know, I told him, I warned him like of certain things, um, but I knew he was still going to chase that dream. Cause I mean, you can't, you can't hold someone back. If that's their dream, they want to give it a try, like go for it. Um, but when he signed with Cleveland, after had just being there and like seeing how that year ended, um, I knew it was going to be tough. Like I knew it was going to be really tough and not that those guys on Cleveland are bad guys by any means. They're all great guys. I just know the type of, you know, like I said, the type of guys that he needs to buy in. I just knew those guys weren't going to give him the energy and the, like the commitment that he wanted and needed to, to be successful. And um, it was just, it was unfortunate the way it all played out. Like I felt bad for him that, you know, things ended so quickly and he didn't get to see it all the way through. Um, but, you know, to the, I don't think that should, you know, tarnish his image or his career by any means, because he is, you know, to this day, my favorite coach I have ever played for, like hands down. I absolutely, and you said you could see the chemistry. That's like, we're not faking that. Like I truly love him. Um, and I wouldn't be where I am today without him. So um, like, like I said, it's, it sucks to see that, you know, this, this year played out like that for him, but, you know, I still have the most respect for coach B and, um, I, I don't know what he's planning to do with, with the rest of it. You know, if he's going to go back to coaching or not, but, um, either way he's had, he's had an incredible career no matter where he's been. Yeah, man. I mean, obviously we wish it would have worked out better for him in Cleveland. Um, now he is on our team, uh, at least for now, uh, on the TV side. So we're happy to have him. So there's a little silver lining there and, and you talk about it, you touch on it a little bit, but it is part of the, the, the culture. It's one of those things with the NBA culture, just from an outside observer that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a group think mentality almost like it'll chew you up and spit you out. And, and if there's an opinion about you, at least in the media, I, I it beeline left Cleveland, you know, it seemed like there was just this, this uh, sentiment on, on Twitter with the, you know, a lot of the NBA Twitter people that, you know, he, he was totally in over his head. And I disagree with that. I, like you said, I think it was a matter of buy-in and, and he is capable of coaching at that level. And, and it's just one of those things that, you know, one of the things I don't necessarily like about NBA Twitter is kind of that group think. And, and I assume that permeates in the locker room as well a little bit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and another thing looking at it too, I, that's, you know, I knew was going to be a huge adjustment for coach B, you know, going back to the NBA thing was, you know, at Michigan, he, you know, you get to handpick your players, you're recruiting the guys that you want every time. And I knew him stepping into a situation where he's just given, you know, he's given this team, um, you know, it's tough. Like, you know, like we said, if not everyone buys in, if not everyone gives you that commitment, it's, it's going to be hard to create a winning, a winning environment. So um, it's unfortunate though, like you said, that the, like the, the group Twitter, um, the Twitter basketball world, you know, kind of just write something and then they just run with it. And that becomes the mentality everywhere. Oh, he was in over his head. He couldn't handle it. like, it's, you know, 
those you know a lot of those people who uh you know who write that on twitter they're you know they're spiteful they're hateful they're they're whatever but um you know the real people who know basketball know you know how brilliant coach beeline is and and what he brings to the game yeah and there are positive sides of, of nba twitter you know the culture of the league has carried it a long way and I'm wondering, you know, how much do you get invested just as a pro basketball player in kind of the social media side, especially with the NBA? You know, it's such a thing. It's kind of baked into the league itself. Uh, looking at your personal Twitter account, it doesn't look like you tweet much at all anymore, but, um, you know, you're obviously active on, on Instagram at least. So uh, how much do you get wrapped up kind of in the whole social media universe of uh, professional basketball? Well, I was huge into Twitter before. Like when I was at Michigan, Twitter was like my main source of social media. And even when I got to the NBA, I was heavily on Twitter. And why, the reason why I stopped was because when I played in Philadelphia, it became too much. Like the, the year that we were 10 and 72 in Philadelphia, like I stepped into that, you know, I stepped into that program, like really not knowing what to expect. Like you said, I got traded there. And I had no idea what Philly fans were like, especially when the team was losing. So I come in there and like, we lose the first 18 games of the season, first 18 games of the season. And, um, and I'm looking on Twitter every day and like all my mentions are Philly fans, like one after another being like, why did we bring you here? Like, get out of Philly. Like everyone hates you. Like just every comment was negative. And, you know, for a certain while you block it out or use it as motivation or whatever, but it came to a certain point in time where like, one years, two years, three years, it like, it got to the point where I'm like, why am I going on Twitter when all I receive and all I see is negative, it's just negativity from everyone. And uh, yeah, so it got, it, got, it got to the point where Instagram wasn't as bad because it's not like, I mean, yeah, people comment on your pictures or whatever, but it's, it's, it, it wasn't the same as Twitter. I had to get off Twitter, I stayed on, on Instagram, but yeah, to this day, the reason why I don't use Twitter is because of Philly fans, it was, it was rough. It was if you ever do come back, it'll be a it'll be a momentous event. You know that first tweet you send. Uh, eventually, I'll, I'll be sure to retweet it when you do. And you know, speaking of uh, social media, you know one of the positives, you know, even though it can be toxic, like you said, uh, is your you know the legend of Sauce Castillo kind of took off. Um, yeah. I forgot about that until I was was you know looking up some research for this interview. When's the last time someone called you Sauce Castillo? And for you know for people who don't know what I'm talking about. The closed captioning, I believe, like on one of your Sixers games, instead of putting your real name, um, spit out Sauce Castillo. And that's probably the best possible outcome because, like, usually yeah. if it messes up, it's just gibberish. So that yeah. nickname is, like, legitimately awesome. Well, yeah, I got lucky that, it, like, Sauce. That's, a cool, that's kind of a cool name. Like, I don't mind. But it's funny because when I'm back in Philly or even right now, like, I'm in, like, the Jersey Shore area where a lot of people from Philly go to vacation – to be honest, when people recognize me, I'm only sauce. I'm not Nick. Like if the like casual, like 22 year old basketball fan who's walking down the street sees me, he's not going to be like, what's up, Nick? He'll be like sauce. And it's funny. Like we laugh about it to this day that people know me by that name because it was literally a closed captioning error during one game. And it just, like you said, with, with Twitter and social media, when something happens, like, people just run with it. And um, yeah, still, still with me to this day, six years later. Again, could have been so much worse. You <laughs> came out pretty well on that one. Uh, speaking of some of the research I did, do you know who edited or edits your Wikipedia page? Cause it's like probably the most comprehensive uh, page I've ever seen. 
I awesome. have, it was perfect. I literally, I literally have no idea. Like it must be my mom or like my a family member or something. Cause I remember I saw some stuff and I'm like, how did, how would anyone like know that that was a thing? So I have no idea who updates that. I'm always curious about that. Like who's, who's is like your agent or your, I mean, your mom, maybe the best story ever if your mom's editing your Wikipedia page. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it had like all the details of, of a lot of your games at, at Michigan and in your pro career. So I do want to talk about uh, Michigan a little more before we wrap up. And I just want to off the top, get your favorite moment or something that resonates with you um, the most when you look back to your time in Michigan, your two years there. Oh man, that's a tough, I mean, like obviously playing playing in that national championship game my uh my freshman year was huge but you know i think back to my sophomore year um you know when we won the big 10 championship outright you know we didn't make it to the final four we you lost in that elite eight but that year in general like it was it was like even more special than that freshman year because we like we no one thought we were going to be that good and especially after the preseason that we had that year, you know, we lost at Duke, we lost at Arizona, uh, we lost to Charlotte. Like, we really didn't have a good preseason. We were unranked coming into the Big Ten season. And for us to, like, come together and kind of turn things around the way we did in such a short amount of time, and, like, I kind of found my groove. Glenn and Karis, you know, really, um, you know, stepped up their game. And, you know, even we talked before, like, you know, Derek Wall and Zach Irvin, Spike, all those guys – really elevated their game that year, Jordan Morgan too. And uh, for us to come together, win the Big Ten Championship, and then, you know, make a run to the Elite Eight and, you know, come that short to, to going back-to-back -back Final Four is like, for me, that year was just, that year was so special. And uh, we had so much fun doing it too. That was, that was like the, 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 the best part about it was like showing up every day to practice, showing up every day to games. Like there was never, you know, it never felt like work or like, oh man, I wish we were doing something else. Like we, we truly enjoyed being together all the time on and off the court. And that's, that's what made that group special. Everyone remembers you for uh, blowing the kiss to the Michigan State fans. Yeah. Did you also, was it a kiss that you blew to Illinois when you uh, ran off the court at halftime after, after burying that three in their eye? Or what what was I, that? I don't think I blew a kiss, but I, I like just stared. I like stared at the student, the student is, what is it? The orange crush or whatever they call yep. it. Yeah. They, they, cause they were like doing the USA chant. And when I hit the shot, I just like literally stared at them for like three seconds, just like didn't move. Um, but yeah, I like the kid. To be honest, I think that was the thing that like made that year fun was like, we really had the chip on our shoulder. Like not just me, obviously I showed it a lot by doing those things, but all of us, we had this like chip on our shoulder. We felt like we were being slighted. And like, we actually literally had a thing um, in our locker room. We're like, ha these were like hashtags were just starting to become a thing. And it was hashtag project feeling very slighted. And that was like our motto heading into the weight room was every day we were like, yo, we're feeling slighted. We're feeling like no one's showing us love. We're feeling like we're not, you know, getting the credit we deserve. So every time we stepped foot on that floor, we had that chip on our shoulder and that's what made it fun to go in there in opposing arenas and, and dominate. Uh, so yeah, that just looking back at that, those are some, some great times with those teams. Probably the most, the most fun I've ever had playing basketball was that year, I'd say. Yeah, and I brought up the Illinois moment because you, you and Coach B were talking about it uh, when we chatted last time, and I was in that Orange Crush student section. It was before I was, like, doing the media thing. I think we're the same age school-wise, and I will say that was the most eviscerating moment I think I've ever seen in that building. 
um, just with, you know, first of all, I think, I think Illinois was getting beat by like 25 or something. You guys were, we were, we, we were, we were clicking. not missing that game. It was nuts. And, and, and like, it, it was like the last gasp of the student section trying to get in your head. It was pathetic. And <laughs> you totally, I mean, the game should have ended right there. Cause you, you ripped out, you know, pretty much everyone's souls. So that was, that, that's a fond memory looking back on and, uh, being able to talk with you about now, uh, from the other side of things. Um, I do want to ask, you know, since we're kind of on the theme of all decade and reflecting, I saw Michigan actually did this um, on their social media this week, I think inspired by the, the BTN one, but they did their all decade basketball, I believe. Um, so I'm curious, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but we can run through the positions. What would be your uh, starting five of the 2010s? Feel free to include yourself if you want. And we'll just start at the, uh, the point guard position because Michigan's had some good ones. All right. So this is for the decade, just for the decade. It's for the, yeah, 2010s, okay. decade. So Trey at the one. Okay. I got to go with my. I got to go with myself at the two. I'm gonna go with Tim Hardaway at the three. I'm gonna put. Hmm. This is tough. Like, I want to be able to put, like, Mitch in there because when Mitch was, when Mitch was going, he was, like, he, he was unbelievable for us. But, like, obviously, there's Mo. I got to put Mo. I'd put, I'd put Mo at the four, and I would put – I'd put Mitch at the five. It's a pretty uh... – pretty intimidating team and that it kind of goes to show like we talked about it earlier it's crazy that you guys only had one guy nominated to this made-up team that we just made up like I know you know anybody can make up a poll and, and poll people yeah. but uh thinking about how many great players you guys had I, I went and counted because somebody was trying to slander uh beeline in the decade on twitter and like I don't usually mix it up like that like especially for a school that wasn't mine like I'm a follower of Michigan basketball obviously because my it's my job but this guy was trying to say that that <laughs> that he wouldn't watch because he, Michigan didn't get elite talent. And I'm like, dude, Michigan had 14 guys in the decade go or 14 guys since Beeline's been there playing the NBA. Like that's unheard of. And you guys had so much talent. Yeah. And I'm going to, I got to say this real quick, cause I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, but I want to give a shout out to my boy, Mitch McGarry, because not a lot of people know how special he would have been that our sophomore year had he not gotten hurt. People don't know the story of what happened that summer. So everyone knows like me and Karis stayed behind at school after our freshman year. And we did like this whole Camp Sanderson thing. And we, you know, we were like working on our body stuff. But that was the first summer that Mitch like was serious about his game, his body, everything. Because he had passed up on, go on being a lottery pick. Like he was a lock to be a lottery pick. And he passed on that to come back to school. So he like finally had this mindset. He was like, hey, I'm, I'm coming back um to to get better and to put myself in a position to be top five pick like why not i'm like he was that good and i remember this when we were playing open runs in august before that sophomore season this is right before he got hurt i i can't make this up he would had he stayed healthy he would have been the number one pick in the draft he came back and i'm telling you he was grabbing rebounds he was coming down the court like full speed full speed pulling up from three lefty swish 
Next time, getting a steal, coming down, looking this way, throwing a wrap around like to the other way for a layup. Like we were watching this in practice. You could see the coaches. They were like, they were looking around. They're like, oh damn, like we're, we're about to be nice this year. And then one thing led to another. Oh, sorry, my dogs are my dogs are freaking out a little bit. All good. Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, he ended up hurting his back and, and missed the season. So, um, yeah, it was unfortunate that that happened. I mean, I believe it. Just watching him that first year and just the bounce he had and the athleticism mixed with, you know, kind of the smooth jumper and, and everything in his, uh, in his repertoire was impressive, and he was so young. And, you know, it, it's always one of those kind of what-if stories, but he, he had a great, uh, uh, you know, great year, obviously, and it's a shame that I'm sure Michigan fans can relate to right now and, and agree with you, you know, even though they weren't there to see it in that August run. Um, <laughs> we wish we all could have seen what, what he would have became. Um, before I go up, Nick, I know uh, you've been super generous with your time. I do want to get a couple of uh, rapid fire fun questions in. I want to start. It's going to be great. This yeah. I want to start with uh, just start with Ann Arbor, the city, because, you know, you spent some time there uh, even, you know, when students weren't there and I'm sure, you probably hit every restaurant along the way. And I, I love, it's like an underrated food city, like eating there and just hanging out is awesome. What would you say are your top, like two or three restaurants to, to hit in Ann Arbor? And I was, uh, when I was there, I was really big into Mr. Spots. That was definitely like a go-to of mine. Um, the Chipotle on campus was like every day I was going there. And um, then there's that, that restaurant, like it's a nicer restaurant. We would go there like, we were like going on a date or something. Um, we had like, you know, we'd go to Melange. That was like our, our place where you'd get like a nice dinner. Um, and then Mongolian steakhouse, the Mongolian grill place where they make like, you like make your own bowl. That was at the top of my list as well. What would be your order from Zingerman's? If you could call it up right now, what? deliver to Jersey. You know what's crazy? I never, I've never been to Zingerman's. For real? I was there for two years, never went. So like that's our stop. If we stop in Ann Arbor for like work, we have to stop there. They kind of order it for everybody. But I can see that. I can relate to that because so I grew up in a college town too. Like I went to Illinois, I told you, but I grew up there as well. And there would be places that people would come into town and be like raving about. And I would just feel like I've never eaten there before just because it's such it's almost too popular. You know, you don't go there as yeah. a, as a local. So yeah. um, but I'm gonna expose you for that, you know, not never having Zingerman's. I think Michigan fans might be mad. I know it's I I don't know I don't know how that never came about you know after two years of being there but I'm like yeah I really never never even tried it all right last round of questions um you are from you're a Mississauga guy right you're from Canada okay yeah. so we're gonna do some Canadian rapid fire questions um we'll do five of them real quick and we'll start with what's another nickname for Toronto besides the six the T-Dot Okay. Would you rather have Tim Hortons or your American alternative, like a Starbucks Duncan type? Um, I'd say still Starbucks. Gonna revoke your citizenship. Um, when you had to type out or like text Chrysler Center, do you spell center with an E-R or an R-E? E-R. I spell everything. I spell everything American now because I've, I've lived here for like 11 years now. So I've like converted, but all my family, they still spell everything the Canadian way. I've always kind of liked the RE. It makes it seem like fancier for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, okay, two Canadians. So you have to pick one: Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Gosling. Ooh, mm, that's a that's a tough one. Both both studs, like 
absolute studs. I might have to go. I might have to go. Gosling, man, he's uh, he's he's got the juice. He's got the juice. And he's from Ontario, so you know you got to go with the hometown. Yeah. Where, do you know where in Ontario he's from? Uh, I didn't. Uh, London, maybe. I I okay. quick scanned it, but um, I think Reynolds is from Vancouver, so I remember that he wasn't from your neck yeah. of the woods. All right, last one. Um, what's a stereotype? You know, not not something negative necessarily, but like something about Canadians that uh, Americans think or the rest of the world thinks that's, that's like 100% accurate, that's totally true about Canadians. That we, and I, I'm so guilty of this. We all, like, we're, we're so nice. Like, we're always like apologizing. Like, like um, I do this all the time too. If someone like trips, like, so say I'm like walking by and someone trips me and like, they were the one in the wrong, I'll be like, oh, so sorry. Like, because like I made contact and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Whereas like, they should have been the one to say, I'm so sorry, but that's just like how Canadians are. I don't know. I don't know why that's the case, but we just, we're always like apologetic. We're always trying to be nice, I guess. And it's very true. Like it's just Canadians are nice people. I'd like to think. It's like the whole Midwestern thing about saying, Oh, have you heard that? When you bump into somebody like the, Oh, it's like, a, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, like the A, the A for Canadians. That's we, a lot of people do say that. Yeah. Eh? Yeah, watching hockey, that always comes through the broadcast. But, uh, you know, you're right. You have been very nice with your time. Appreciate you jumping on, chopping it up a little bit. It's been fun reflecting with you. Uh, best of luck getting healthy. Best of luck as, uh, you know, the basketball hopefully returns, getting back in the uh, NBA universe and looking forward to seeing where you go from here, man. Yeah, no, it was great talking and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. All right. Thanks once again to Nick for joining the show. Really enjoyed that conversation. Um, just a very candid and open discussion about you know some of the the struggles he's had in the NBA, but also some of the successes and and the optimism that he has to get back to where he was, and also just really appreciated his insight on Coach Beeline. I thought that was some fascinating stuff, and uh, always obviously enjoy reflecting on his Michigan stardom as well. So I appreciate you, Nick, for that. And we'll move to the second part of our show now. Got a super extended show this week. Um, you know, kind of because we have a holiday weekend coming up and this will give you uh, some time to kill if you're going on a long drive and, and taking a, uh, a short vacation for the holiday weekend, enjoying the long holiday weekend. But um, definitely have a longer discussion coming up and, and Nick's was a pretty lengthy chat as well. But this next portion of the show goes about an hour, 15 minutes, hour 20. And, you know, it's kind of just for all the Big Ten nerds out there and, and people who really obsess and enjoy, uh, obsess over and enjoy Big Ten sports. And, and I really enjoyed the conversation we had. I mentioned at the top of the show, we have Harold Shelton on. He is a uh, BTN researcher who's on very, very often, if you've ever listened to the show before, to share his insight on Big Ten football and basketball. And then we had uh, Bill Friedman on as well, who's been on once before, and if you didn't hear that previous episode, Bill is the mastermind behind the BTN Journey Show. He's a senior coordinating producer at BTN and is another just uh, sports savant who can really rattle off moments and memories. So figured I'd get those guys together to align with the theme of the BTN all-decade teams that have come out in the last couple of weeks on BTN platforms. A um, little background, BTN convened a panel to vote on all decade Big Ten football and basketball teams, kind of like I talked about with Nick earlier in the show. Um, and so Harold and Bill and I touch on that a little bit, but we also get into 
kind of our own BTN all decade themes and topics and took a subjective look at the last decade and how we kind of viewed some of the more notable circumstances and happenings and events from our uh, individual lenses. So, you know, less of the individual player votes that, that Harold and I submitted as part of the panels, but more of things like the best event you, uh, you know, attended in person and event you wish you attended uh, in person the past decade or the moment that was kind of frozen in time, a singular moment that you, you know, you remember where you were when it happened. Uh, and then, you know, some of the more team oriented things as well, like the best football team of the decade, best basketball team, surprise season. So a lot of fun stuff that we just enjoyed as, as BTN uh, nerds, as I'll, as I'll put it uh, affectionately. And, and Big Ten, just consumers of, of everything that's gone on in the last decade, especially those guys who have worked in sports longer than I have. And we just enjoyed talking. So, you know, listen to all of it, listen to none of it. Um, doesn't really matter. We, we enjoyed talking about it and just kind of reflecting on a lot of the storylines and and uh, real life events and people that went into the last decade of Big Ten sports. So, you know, I know the decade's been over for six months now, but it seems like a good time to kind of do all of this type of discussion and reflect with no sports going on. So hopefully you'll indulge us. It's the Take 10 podcast discussion with Harold Shelton and Bill Friedman, and it starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by two guests this time, two friends of the show. I want to welcome back Bill Friedman, the senior coordinating producer of BTN Originals, and welcome back a very regularly recurring guest, Harold Shelton, BTN manager of research. Gentlemen, how's it going? Very Good, well. Man. Very Glad well. All right, we'll try to talk over each other the rest of the way. Uh, appreciate you guys jumping on, and, and it's a good opportunity to have two of the brightest minds at BTN back on the show because we've had uh, quite the discussion over the last couple weeks, both inside and outside our networks, our network with the BTN all-decade lists that have been released in basketball last week and football this week, both on uh, social media and on our air. So it's been kind of a fun summer project. It's generated a lot of debate. Uh, for those who don't know, the lists were put together throughout the spring with a 24-person panel. Harold and myself were on the panel. Uh, Bill, I don't know what happened, how they left you out of the equation, but we'll, we'll get your input here in just a second. But it, it's been some fun, you know, summer content, like I said. We briefly addressed it with Nick Stauskas earlier in the show and, and talked about some of the omissions from the list or how people would have tweaked it. Um, so I guess we'll just start there. And I don't want to linger too long on the list itself because it's already been decided. We will move forward uh, later in the segment here with some alternate topics about what's happened in the last decade and some of the mo more memorable moments, teams, and seasons, et cetera. But first, let's just start where we kind of left off with Nick Stauskas, and that's maybe some of the omissions that we noticed um, I think it's going to be easier with basketball, to be honest, because uh, that was out last week. There's fewer players. There's uh, tiered teams. And and I'll just start with you, Bill. Um, you know, who, who did you think among the well-deserving members, who do you think maybe deserve to be included? You don't even have to say who you, you would leave off, but who do you think would, uh, would deserve a spot on that 16-member list that we released last week? Well, well, first of all, I, I just want to say thanks for having me on, guys, and it's great to be with two of the panelists. Uh, so, you know, clearly experts on the, on the subject matter. Uh, you know, for me, one of the things that struck me about the panel, and it's not surprising, I mean, excuse me, about the team, it's not surprising, is 
many of the, 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 the nominees were, had great success as a team as well. And so I turned my attention to a guy whose team maybe didn't have quite as much success, but in my, in my mind, and granted, didn't play the full decade in his full four-year career in the decade, but I'm going to start with Penn State's Taylor Battle. I mean, a guy who was just the heartbeat of that program from the minute he got on campus till the minute he left. You know, they won an NIT, I believe, while he was there. Harold, correct me if I'm wrong. And, you know, mm-hmm. had a great run in the 2011 Big Ten tournament, you know, to get to the to the NCAA tournament. You know, I believe Taylor was the all-time leading scorer and, and probably would have been passed this year by Lamar Stevens if uh, if the season hadn't been shortened. But still, there's a guy that that brought it every night for four four years. I, I like four-year players. I, I, I gravitate towards them. I think in things like this, they deserve a little more consideration. And so I'd start with uh, with Taylor. Yeah, Lamar Stevens, another uh, Penn State guy whose name I, I saw in the replies as a suggestion from the Penn State fans as uh, somebody who maybe could have been included but was not. Harold, what do you think as far as the hoop side of things go? Yeah, I thought Lamar Stevens uh, definitely had the resume to make it. Uh, but, you know, to Bill's point, you know, it was kind of to the victors go to spoils. Um, in that vein, I thought, you know, our own Robbie Hummel certainly had a chance to uh, make that team. I think people kind of forget how good he really was. I mean, that 2010 Purdue team, like if he doesn't get hurt, they're probably a one seed. Uh, he was still first team all Big Ten that year. Um, and then he missed the whole year after that and then came back and was first team all Big Ten again in 2012. Uh, almost beat Kansas by himself in NCAA tournament. And that was a Kansas team that went all the way to the national title game. I mean, they literally had to put a triangle and two on to try to stop him because he was that good. And the fact that he played so well after those knee injuries really showed what kind of player he really was. Yeah, Hummel was on the uh, the panel, so maybe it's best that he was left off because there, people would have cried foul. Um, so a little conflict of interest there. Uh, no, I agree with those those two. Um, you know, what struck me was, and you know, we joked around. Me and Nick Stauskas did a little bit about the selection and and how, you know, I was impressed with how good natured he was about it. Like, I, it's hard to tell sometimes how much this matters to players who were selected, right? Like, we saw a lot of positive feedback from the guys who were selected, but I'm wondering who's out there maybe stewing over the fact they didn't make it. But, you know, it, it did strike me that there were only uh, – there's only one Michigan basketball player selected. That's Trey Burke to the first team. Well-deserving honor for him. But with all the success Michigan basketball had – that decade, I would argue, is probably the most impressive run just from what they were the decade before. Um, it's striking that they only had one guy on the team. You know, there, there are plenty of guys I think that could have made a case, including Nick Stauskas. I think Hardaway had an argument as well. Um, and, you know, just them having one guy in Ohio State having four didn't necessarily seem right to me. Um, I would have balanced that out a little more. So I just would have probably tried to get a little bit more uh, of an accurate representation of, of Michigan basketball how dominant they were that decade. But other than that, no, no huge gripes with, with how it turned out. Um, to be fair, I didn't vote for anyone besides uh, Trey Burke to the, the panel, e- even though it's a little different. Harold, I know you can speak to this a little bit. How do you think it affected maybe the, the outcome that we had 10 votes as opposed to voting for a first, second, and third team, and, and then they took the um, – I guess the best of the rest to fill out the third team in the, in the voting process. Yeah, I think that, that certainly could have played a part. Um, you wonder if there were enough, you know, third place finishes or third team finishes for a Stauskas or a Hummel, would that have vaulted, uh, you know, them up? 
Uh, also for the people who maybe finished 11th or 12th on the ballot, like if, if they're actually placed on the third team, maybe it's a, it's a little bit different as well. Um, I know there are some cases where like maybe an Ethan Happ got left off um, off of the top 10, but he still had enough votes to get in the top 10. And I just, I just wonder like if we would have seen, you know, all three teams, if there would have been a one through 15, how much it would have changed. I think it may be a little. Uh, Stoskis definitely would have been on my third team if I had a vote. Uh, Robbie Hummel as well. Those I think those two would probably be the two that just missed my cut uh, along with the, the Penn State guys we mentioned. Yeah, I do want to say, like, there's a million ways you can slice these type of things. And I want to shout out Mark Harmon and the rest of the team for pulling – yeah, pulling the all-decade process together. I mean, it was a phenomenal job, heavy lift for sure. Getting all these panelists to come on board and and submit their votes and doing it during a pandemic. It's been an awesome, awesome project to see unfold. So, you know, don't want to come off as critical or anything, but that's part of the fun of all these types of, of debates. If we get to debate them after the list comes out, come out. Um, let's talk football a little bit before we move on to some of our our speculative or, or self-created topics from the past decade. Um, you know, I see some of these positions that are so deep in the Big Ten and running back especially stands out. You know, you, the two running backs that made it on, I guess we'll call it the first team. It's not specifically designated the first team, but they did kind of have an all honorable mention second team. And the two running backs, um, Saquon Barkley made it and uh, guys like John. Melvin Gordon. Yeah, Taylor made it. And Melvin Gordon, his uh, you know predecessor, Monty Ball, were left out. So, you know, just like a deep stable of running backs, like Amir Abdullah, Ezekiel Elliott, even Justin Jackson from Northwestern, Le'Veon Bell, all these guys had a case. Turns out Jonathan Taylor, like you mentioned, and uh, Saquon were the two, I think, deserving nominees. So, uh, Bill, what do you think as far as what you've seen from football um, and maybe a guy or two that you would make a case for? Yeah, I mean, I'd start where you start, Alex. I think the running back position speaks to, you know, the style of football that was prevalent in the Big Ten for, for much of the decade. I think it's started to change a little bit and, and offenses have opened up in the last few years. But, I mean, I think you could almost do an all-decade Wisconsin running backs team, you know, let alone just the all-decade. I mean, obviously, JT was, was you know, uh, th three basically 2,000-yard seasons. I think one year it was a little short, Harold. Uh, that, that's tough to beat. But I, in terms of, right, do you ask yourself the question, if I had to hand the ball off to one guy, who would it be? Might be Melvin Gordon for me. His just explosiveness, the number of long runs he was able to generate. Uh, boy, he was something. That one, the, the, the probably the two years he was he was the featured back. You know, the 408 yard game against Nebraska, something I'll never forget. And I, I think maybe I know he's maybe mentioned as a second team, but I, I guess maybe I'm saying maybe should have been on the on the team. Um, that that's probably where I'd start is, is with Melvin. Amazing yeah. player. It's so hard to pick only two, uh, a position like running back, and I believe wide receiver was the same way. Uh, you can only pick two. But it was more in the running back sense that, that guys that easily had a case for the first team, uh, that, that jumped out at me more as, as opposed to wide receiver. Not as many wide receiver names jumped out at me from the last decade. Uh, Harold, what do you think? Were any, any omissions or any just, you know, splitting hair type scenarios that jumped out to you as you were voting and then seeing the results? Uh, yeah, I could – Completely piggyback off of Friedman here. Uh, if this would have been, if this would have happened before 2019, I was fully prepared to go Saquon and Melvin. 
And then when you add another 2,000 yard season and you add another Doak Walker <laughs> award, uh, and you de- add the fact that he had 6,000 yards in three seasons and became wow. like the first back to ever do that in three seasons, like I kind of kind of forced my hand there a little bit. But I think people kind of forget how great Melvin Gordon was. I mean, he almost had 2,600 yards in his season without much of a passing game, like 2,600 yards capped it against Auburn you know, over 200 yards there. Uh, Marcus Mariota was just so special that he won the Heisman that year and Melvin finished second. But, you know, he still won a doke. And even as a junior, you know, he still ran for like 1,600 yards. I mean, the fact that when he became the feature guy, he had 4,200 yards, you know, roughly in those two seasons. I mean, that dude was special. And you know, he's been productive in the league. He, he might have had more chances, too, if he wasn't behind James White and Monty Ball. His exactly. first year, too. I mean, it, you know, he didn't even really get a lot of carries that year. I mean, I I'll think back to the Big Ten championship game. That was – I think it was nine for 225 or something right. that game. I mean, he didn't even get nine carries a game. Like, what if he had had a full season there? Would we be thinking differently? You know, JT had the advantage that when they came in, there there, there really wasn't a lot of competition at the position. I mean, right. he was going up against two guys that played the NFL. Yeah, yeah, we just talked about it, Bill. You were on that Zoom call that Monty Ball was on. We were watching that game that you mentioned. And Monty Ball said when Melvin Gordon had one of those big runs, he's like, that's when he knew that that stable of running backs and, uh, you know, tradition there would be okay and in good hands. Um, So, you know, we've named some players that we have really enjoyed watching already. And I do want to get into some of the subjective categories that uh, that we put together here this discussion. Um, so this has nothing to do with really any of the official all decade results and polls that we've released at ETN the last couple of weeks, but it's stuff that we've made up Alex Harold and bill. Um, and we're going to offer our very subjective opinions on here. And, and I'll start with staking on a, uh, a, a, the player track, you know, which player guys have you enjoyed watching the most in each sport? I'll start with you, Harold. Um, start with basketball. Uh, for me, it, over the last decade, I'd probably say it's Denzel, just because you didn't really know what to expect. Uh, first couple of years, it was just a lot of flashy passes. I mean, he could do other stuff, but when the ball was in his hands, whether he was throwing it off the glass to a teammate, whether it was a no-look pass to somebody else, you know, he was you know, always a guy who had flash and had flair about him. And then when he became the main guy, you saw how good – he became and how good they became. Um, you know, even when he got hurt, you know, during the season, Michigan State really struggled without him. He comes back and, you know, they roll through the rest of the season and, and win the Big Ten tournament. And it's a guy who averaged 19, 7, and 7 as a senior. And, uh, you know, multiple triple doubles. You know, I was at that Kansas game when he kind of, you know, made that statement to start the year. And you know, that was just a really, really fun team to watch. So I, I would go with him. I thought you were going to say Cassius Winston and we'd have to double up. And I picked Cassius personally because this is my fourth basketball season at BTN just this past year. So I kind of saw Cassius come up as I was kind of learning the uh, the ropes of the job and also just kind of progressing just like he did as far as seeing a lot of Big Ten basketball. So he was probably my favorite player to watch just because he got the most out of his ability and was just kind of a universally beloved guy, even, even aside – or regardless of all of the um, off-court uh, circumstances that surround him, obviously the death of, death of his brother was a, a terrible tragedy in the, in the last uh, calendar year, and it was inspiring to see him, you know, 
move past, maybe not move past, but deal with that in a admirable way. So, you know, that's all kind of baked into the Cassius Winston experience and, and um, sad to, sad to see him go, but I'm excited to see what he has in store for us at the next level. Bill, how about you? Who's your favorite player of the decade to watch? Well, from a basketball standpoint, again, I'm going to be a little contrarian here. I'm, I'm just a big fan of like kind of old fashioned basketball skills, you know, high basketball IQ. And one guy that stuck out for me, and I'll, I'll tell you a quote that, that sums it up is, is uh, Etwan Moore from Purdue. And he kind of had kind of like that old man game as a young man. You know, he wasn't, wasn't going to dunk over you, wasn't going to blow by you, but he just knew how to play the game. You could count on him as consistent, dependable. I remember we did a piece on him, and Matt Painter said, he's going to play for 10 years in the league. And he knew, you know, at that time, like, nobody was thinking of drafting Etwan Moore. And here we are 10 years later, and Etwan Moore is still in the league. And I don't know, I just love a guy like that that's that, – that, 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 that every night, you know, he's 17 to 20. He's not afraid to take the big shot. He can make his teammates better. He shows up, you know, plays hurt. Um, just a guy I really came to admire through my time. And then on the football side, I'll stay in the same city. Uh, Rondale Moore, I mean, you talk about electric. What that guy did as a true freshman at his size, and I, I just feel like I, I, I started watching Purdue games start to finish because I just wanted to see Rondale Moore, you know, touch the ball. And we got to know him pretty well. We actually did a, a training camp show that, that that's uh, fall. So we saw it from the beginning. We were at practice, and this guy was lighting it up. And I was like, okay, well, let's see how that translates. It translated. And that first game against Northwestern, wow, what an entrance. And what a shame last year that he, he just wasn't able to be healthy. But I'm really looking forward to seeing him this year. And that's a guy for me that, you know, I think was exciting for me to watch every game. How about you, H? Yeah, uh, Saquon Barkley for me, I know that's not really a – breaking news or anything but uh I was a guy who just he did a whole lot of stuff you're like man how do you do that like it was just you know the fact that he could hurdle a guy land on his feet perfectly and make another move or you know he put his foot in the ground and it looks like he's about to tear his ACL and somehow (laughs) he bounces away and and you know runs by some other people and he always had a flair for the dramatic on the big run too whether it's the Michigan game where he breaks it for 80 to start or the USC Rose Bowl where he cuts it back and he always did this thing with his arm when, when it, whenever he would get going and he, <laughs> he kind of had that helicopter thing going and once he started turning it up he got an open field it was over and so that was a guy who uh, he was just really really exciting whether he was carrying it or whether uh, he was out as a receiver making big plays he, he could do it all. Yeah Saquon's mine as well and and you'll probably sense a theme as we go along here. I I mentioned I've not been watching Big Ten sports as closely for as long as you guys have. You know, I've always, being a follower of Illinois sports growing up, I would see guys come through and play U of I, but until, you know, 2016, I was not consuming all the sports uh, obsessively like I am now. Um, So, yeah, Saquon's, like, really the first guy that seemed larger than life that I, quote, covered. He, you know, being close to him at a practice, like, it was insane – the, the Saquads with his legs and like the, you know, his calves was just like superhuman. So that's all, you know, aside from what he did in the actual field, it, you know, if I thought the Heisman was a lock for him, um, it would have been 17 when he took the uh, kickoff back against Ohio state in the horseshoe. And uh, you know, they ultimately lost that game, but it was just one of those things that it seemed like he was commanding the nation's attention. 
Um, and he was, you know, must-see TV. Wasn't that 17? Am I right about that, Harold? Yeah, and, and, and yeah. if they win, so, if they win yeah. that game, Alex, if they win that game at Ohio State that they lost 39-38, and if their O-line doesn't get injured as badly as it did that game, he probably does win the Heisman. Yeah, they, they just State, weren't, they yeah. weren't the same after that because they lost a couple linemen in the middle of that game and they just, they never found their stride again. Those Penn State, Ohio State games are crazy. And, and, you know, this isn't a category, but Penn State seems like kind of the, the what if team of the decade, they're always so close and they're always talented enough to be a college football playoff team, but they just could never uh, quite break through, even though they did win the big 10 in 2016. So let's transition now into the, to the uh, best football team of the decade. I know we had a national title winner, in 14, but uh, I'm going to go with the Ohio State 2019 team, just as, as far as the dominance and the overall talent spread across the field. I still think they got jobbed in the Clemson game. Um, and, you know, it was such a thrilling game. They lost to one of the all-time, you know, great called dynasties in college football with what Clemson's put together, even though they did go on to lose to LSU. Uh, Ohio State 2019 to me, I, I haven't seen dominance like that from a college football team Um you know, at least in the Big Ten in quite a while. Harold, what do you got? Wholeheartedly agree, 100%. Um, I'd say leading into 2019, it actually would have been probably the 2013 Michigan State team. But this team, I mean, every win they had was by double digits. I mean, they were killing everybody. The fact that they trailed by as much as they did against Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game and still wound up winning by 13 and taking their foot off the gas at the end to do so. I mean, it's so much top-end talent. I mean, just look, they had two guys drafted in the top three, you know, both on defense. You probably got the Heisman favorite coming back in Justin Fields. You had a 2,000-yard rusher in J.K. Dobbins. You got another first-round corner waiting in the wings in Sean Wade. I mean, they were just completely loaded, and it showed on the field, and they took no mercy and, you know, Teams that, you know, we thought were pretty good. I mean, they really didn't have much of an issue. And I think they got completely jobbed against Clemson. They would have gave, they would have definitely given LSU a game, might have even won. Uh, really upset we didn't get to see that matchup. Well, we going uh, three for three? Well, I, I mean, I'm kind of going to acknowledge that this question should probably read, who is the best uh, non-24 or 2019 Ohio State team? And Harold brought it up, and that's what I, where I was going to go was the 2013 Spartans. It was, it was a team that, as the season wore on, got better, got and was really clicking on all cylinders. Obviously, beating you know gave Urban Meyer's first loss in the Big Ten, I believe, Harold, if if that's not mistaken. And being on the field for that game, they they handled a really really talented Ohio State team that had a lot of a lot of ballers on it too. And I, you know, went went out to the Rose Bowl, beat a good Stanford team. And uh, I, I just thought that they had kind of everything, including excellent coaching. And I think that was maybe, you know, one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen was that 2013 Spartan team. So, uh, but, but I, I don't think – I wouldn't take that against either of the Ohio State teams. So, all you Columbus uh, fanatics, you don't have to come at me. Uh, I'm not on Twitter anyway, so you can't. But, uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things like, yeah, 2014 or 2019, those were, were really amazing teams in the Big Ten for sure from Ohio State. All right, I wonder if we're going to concur on hoops as well um, because the Wisconsin 2015 team that, again, was so close to winning it all. You know, they, they ended the Kentucky 37 and done run. Um, so talented. You know, they had the, the all-decade player of the decade that we named, uh, Frank Kaminsky, and, and such a exciting and talented supporting cast with, with Decker and, and Gosser and, and uh, Koenig and Hayes and all these guys. Um, Harold, what do you think? You think uh, 
they were the the best hoops team in the decade. It's what it's the ultimate what if team for me. You know, just if they could have held that nine point lead over Duke in the national championship game, and it, it, I'm sure it kills Badger fans. That was in the second half too. Yeah, I mean, I I tried to look elsewhere because I like being a contrarian, but I, I couldn't. You know, I think that that 2015 team was really good because I I can appreciate dominance, and that was a team that was expected to be really good from the start. You know, coming off the Final Four the year before, uh, you know, stayed in the top ten the entire year. You know, won the Big Ten by two games, won the Big Ten tournament, was a one seed. Uh, you know, beat a couple one seeds along the way, or beat a two seed and a one seed in terms of uh, Arizona and Elite Eight, and then ending, you know, Kentucky's undefeated season. And I feel like they were the only team in the country that would have beaten Kentucky that year. I don't think Duke would have done it. And so the fact that, you know, you had a lead guy in Kaminsky who, you know, won every national player of the year award. You had another pro in Sam Decker. You had really good role players, really good depth. You know, that, that team was just really well-rounded. And uh, they got an unfavorable whistle in the second half, which normally doesn't happen to them. But, uh, you know, they got the – the short end of the stick in that second half and kind of ran out of gas late. Maybe in Madison it doesn't, but when you're going against Duke, I think that uh, kind of counterbalances it. At, at five on eight. <laughs> five on eight, always. Mm-hmm. Five on eight. But I, I, I agree. That, I, mean, I think probably if you, if, you, if you held my feet over the fire, I'd, I'd pick that team. But I think you put a pretty good final four together of the 2015 Badgers, uh, the, the Michigan team that lost to Louisville, was that 2014, Harold? 13. Um, 13. The, yeah. 13, excuse me. The the Mo Wagner team that, that made it all the way to the final. And, I, and I'd even throw in the Michigan State Final Four team that beat Zion Williamson and Duke. That was a really good team. You know, and, and I'd love to see how that team would have played if, if Cassius was at full strength. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think he was a little worn down by that time of the year. Um, you put those four teams on, you know, let's let's go Friday, Sunday and see what happens. I, you know, I mean, people forget that was a great Wisconsin team. They were they were down seven, eight points to the Michigan State team in the second half in the Big Ten championship game. Uh-huh. Needed overtime to win that game. So, I mean, they were they weren't a juggernaut. They were very consistent and very good. But I think some of those other teams that I mentioned could give them a run. There's even that Ohio State team in Sullinger's freshman year. That was a damn good team too, and and just you know kind of ran out of steam at the wrong time. But. Uh, <laughs> And the thing is, I would say Michigan 2013 was clearly above the 2018 edition. 2018 had a pretty favorable road to uh, the Final Four. But what's crazy, you know, about the Wisconsin teams, it all came together with upperclassmen at the right sure. time, pretty much. And and with the Michigan 2013 team, that didn't necessarily happen. You know, you had Stasis was a freshman, McGarry was a freshman, uh, a sophomore. La- yeah, Lavert was young. So imagine if those guys had had you know aligned at a different time or stuck around a little. A little longer. I mean, I think that talent level on that team remains some of the scariest. I mean, still they had Horford, I believe, on that team, and and Walton as a as a young point guard. Or was Walton the next year? Yeah, Walton was the next. Burke, year. Burke was Burke was the the star. He was the national player yeah. of the year. So he's the Glenn guard. Robinson the third. You're missing. Yeah, yeah, just the talent. Mitch was, McGa- Mitch McGarry. Insane. You know, they had a lot of ballers. Jordan Morgan and, was a good role player. Nick just said it on the podcast. Um, he was saying, and he claims he never had revealed this before to to any media but how good McGarry looked before getting hurt mm-hmm. his sophomore year and he thinks he would have been the number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft in 2014 if he would have uh, been able to be healthy his sophomore year so I thought that was interesting interesting for sure um, all right let's talk about not the dominant teams necessarily but shift gears to the biggest surprise team and season of the decade um, so these could be surprise teams, but it has to be boiled down to a season. 
by this uh, categories boundaries here. And I'm curious, Bill, what you think, you know, you have a, a deeper memory in vault than I do when it comes to this stuff. So for basketball, let's just run through both uh, basketball and football for you. What, what do you got on both fronts? Well, I, I like to start on the football side of the, of the equation, if that's all right. And sure. I, I don't, you don't have to go too far in the memory banks for me. I, I, I remember vividly sitting in our, in our programming meetings, trying to predict the, you know, our, our football picks last year. And we kept saying, you know, there, it's conceivable that Minnesota could be 8-0 going into that Penn State game. And who knows what would happen? They'll probably get killed. Well, let me tell you, that was a surprise team to me. Um, you know, I think everybody thought um, Coach Fleck was moving the program forward. Um, but that was a really a quantum leap last year. 11-2, and two, knock off a pretty good SEC Auburn team in, a, in, in whatever bowl game they were playing in, in in Florida. I forget which one it was. And, you know, and, and just the amount of talent that emerged on that team. For me, that, that's my surprise football team for sure. I'll kick, Harold, I'll kick it over to you because i got to think about my basketball team. Uh, so football-wise, they've kind of already been mentioned, but I think it was that 2013 Michigan State team. I mean, it was, it was coming off a year where they went 7-6 and six the year before, lost a bunch of close games. I uh, had no idea who the quarterback was going to be. Um, the fact that, you know, Shalit Calhoun was outscoring the offense through the first two weeks. Um, they really had no – idea, no identity of what they were, uh, Connor Cook catches fire in the Iowa game and they kind of take off from there, but they don't, they don't even get ranked until like the Michigan game in late October, early November. And they go from, you know, in the twenties all the way up to number four at the end of the big 10 championship game. And they're a big underdog against Ohio state, big underdog against Stanford. They wind up beating them both They're 13 and one and kind of wonder if the playoff was a year earlier, you know, what, what would have happened? I mean, Good they would have been in it, Good but point. you wonder, you know, could they have been a team that, uh, you know, done some damage against Auburn or Florida state? I definitely would have loved to see it. And I'll give you my hoops. Uh, I'm going to forget the year held. I need your help, but it was the year that uh, Nebraska made the tournament with coach miles. Oh yeah. Um, that was a team that like, I mean, you know, we were like, who, like we hadn't heard cause he had a bunch of transfers like Terran Petway, and uh, what was the guy? Siobhan um, Shields. Well, Siobhan was there, but he was a recruit. Pitchford. Pitchford was the guy I was thinking of. And, I mean, they didn't get off to a great start. And then I think they won up at Michigan State at some point. And that was mm -hmm. kind of when I was like, man, they're, they're actually pretty good. And, you know, that was a fun team. They had a great, that great win against Wisconsin towards the end of the year. With no the, sit Sunday. With, yeah, no sit Sunday. Packed house at the, at the vault. You know, Coach Miles was, you know, obviously now our, he's our, our teammate, but – what a fun guy to cover, certainly from the journey perspective. We're in every locker room and huddle we could ever imagine. It was great. And, uh, you know, it's a team that didn't get a great whistle against Baylor. Uh, ask Coach Miles about it. He'll be happy to tell you. And, uh, you know, but that was a team that, like, in my wildest dreams, never would have seen them uh, make it. And I'd say honorable mention was the, uh, the, the Darius uh, Morris-led Michigan team that was 1-6 in, in the Big Ten and, you know, was a, a shot away from the Elite Eight. I think, right, Harold? Did they make it? They, they, they made it Sweet 16? It was uh, second round, but they were a shot away from the Sweet 16. That's right. But those guys. They were – that was – I mean, at the end of that year, the Darius Morris was just had one of those years, and he was terrific. And uh, I give them my honorable mention. But Nebraska tournament team, that's my surprise basketball team. Yeah, that Nebraska team, that's a good pick because I know they were – I want to say they were like 9-9 nine and nine at one point a year, and I think 11-10. and 10, And they wound up going on this crazy run and – 
that Wisconsin game was the final uh, final About game. Sunday, of the that's right. Yep. And they wind up winning and clinching a, a, buy, a double buy in the Big Ten tournament. And we're kind of like, hey, that, they might make it regardless of what happens in Indy. And even though they lost uh, their first game in Indy, they still made it. And that was such a such a huge deal. Um, it was a really, really fun team. I think for my pick would be the 2018 Michigan team. Because, um, you know, at that right. point, Derek Walton was gone. Um, you know, they had just come off the crazy run off of the Big Ten tournament the year before. They're a five seed uh, in the Big Ten tournament. They wind up repeating. You know, they take over the Garden, and they wind up going all the way up to a three seed. They need the crazy shot to beat Houston from Jordan Poole, and from there that's they right, that's right. got all the way to the title game. And I don't know how many people really thought, you know, after losing your leader like that in Walton that they would get all the way back. Uh, you know, to the title game. And so, you know, just a, a great job by John Beeline. I know they still, you know, they had a, a favorable run, but a lot of teams get favorable runs and don't take advantage of it. And they certainly did. And so you got to tip my cap to, you know, Mo Wagner and guys like that who got it done. It's a great yeah. call. Yeah, agreed on, first of all, Minnesota 2019 football. Uh, I thought they were a year away from maybe being an Indy contender. And they probably should have made it to Indy. Yeah. Kind of, uh, fell apart at the end. There. Uh, so football in agreement with you, Bill. But uh, basketball, as you guys were talking, just some seasons started popping up because I struggled to at first to think of some candidates. But then seasons, you know, where teams kind of came out of nowhere, came off a bad year, started with a new coach that, that jumped out uh, in my mind. So I'll go chronological order here. My freshman year of college when Illinois uh, came off of Bruce Weber, their first year under John Gross, turned out that was the peak of the John Gross era. Uh, didn't see that one coming. But uh, they had a really exciting, great year. They did. You know, Beat number one Indiana, beat a top ten Gonzaga team on oh, the road, and, and beat came Miami off. in that tournament. Yeah, got you know yeah. lost a lottery pick, and Myers, Myers Leonard probably should have beat Miami, like you said, Harold. Um, and then it was all downhill from there. But uh, that was a fun season. Moving forward, uh, kind of sticking on the theme with uh, John Gross's buddy uh, Chris Holtman. His first year at Ohio State mm-hmm. did not see yep. that coming at all. No. Um, took over super late. Did not know that Kata Bates Diop would be a Big Ten Player of the Year caliber player, even though we knew him and, and Jay Sean Tate were, were good players. Um, so that was a, a great job by him. And then uh, same year, Michigan, like you said, didn't think they were national title caliber team. You know, I didn't earlier in the year. I'm pretty sure they didn't get off to a great start. Nope. They were struggling with some pretty mediocre non-conference opponents at home, if I remember correctly. Uh, but like you said, really came together as the postseason got going you know their their big 10 tournament success was ridiculous like like you said harold and then just this past year Rutgers uh good call being a tournament team yeah with with year three of steve peichel i thought they would be a year away just going into the season but it became clear pretty uh, uh quickly that they were deeper than we had probably thought going into the season and and that it was something that had staying power so excited to see them officially get back most likely to the NCAA tournament in 21, but uh, they were a fun team to watch. And uh, two, throw, two, yeah, go ahead. I'll throw one more out at you, and that's the the, the Purdue team from 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, losing the four seniors from the year before, all they had back was Carson Edwards and a bunch of role players. And that team, you know, I mean, they should have been the Final Four. Let's not just it, say it. And not only that, they it, let's like, just say it. Look like crap in the Big Ten tournament game yeah. against Minnesota, and then just ripped off that incredible yeah. run. Yep. Um. But I was going to say Rutgers, like, as we move on to the next topic, and it's the uh, best event you've attended attended in person of the decade. Rutgers, honestly, basketball has given me a couple of memorable ones, um, especially the 
Purdue Rutgers game when Rutgers was still not very good in Peichel's first year at Madison Square Garden, the Big Ten tournament in 2018. So that's like kind of up there as like a sneaky honorable mention. But I'm, I'm interested to hear from you guys before I get into um, you know my official picks. Harold, I know you and I don't get to all that many games. You know, a lot of times we're in the office and it's kind of reserved for, for postseason or bigger events. But what's a event you attended in person uh, this decade that really sticks out to you for for uh, some reason? Uh, we'll go back to December 7th, 2013. Um, Michigan State beating Ohio State in Indy. Uh, my first year uh, at BTN. So I kind of came at the right time to see how everything kind of came together for them. Um, two years prior, I was all ready to go to the Rose Bowl. They had a fourth quarter lead against Wisconsin. Kind of saw it slip away. Uh, me and you know, several of my you know, Michigan State friends were uh, in bad shape there for a while. You kind of wonder if that's your chance and if you get another chance at it. You know, you know, program like Michigan State, especially at that time, it's like, ah, man, that, that might have been it. Like, I don't know if we're going to get back. And so to be there, to see the, the crowd be fully charged up, you know, 65,000 people, mostly Ohio State fans. Most people thought Ohio State would win the game. Uh, the, the wild swings, a 17-0 lead. Ohio State comes back, scores 24 straight. Michigan State you know, finishes it off with the final 17. And I'll still remember Lankford splitting the safeties and running the end zone. And I was on the Michigan State sideline at the time and just seeing them go crazy and just kind of the, you know, just waiting for Ohio State to get stopped in the, the final two minutes after that and seeing the, the crazy celebration. Like, I'll never, ever forget that. Remember, remember the Izzo brought the basketball team that day. Yep. Remember, they were in the crowd, too. Mm-hmm. That was and, a and fun a little, moment. A little background. Uh, Bill gets some more, like, regular season uh, and overall probably just more events than Harold and I. He, he goes with the, uh, the BTN Journey crew to, to uh, I guess, you know, senior coordinating produce what's going on on the ground there and, and run the show. So, you know, Bill, I, I was going to guess that yours was when uh, Minnesota beat Purdue and you were right there when uh, the fan flipped off uh, Matt Harms um, as, as maybe your most memorable one. But you go ahead and tell me, what's your what's your best event you attended? Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been – listen, I've, I've lived a charm life for the last 10 years, right? I mean, I've, I've been to every Big Ten football championship game and every Big Ten tournament since 20 20- – 10 I mean obviously football champ game since 2011 and um so many so many great moments but I, I'm gonna go again back to this year I, I was at the Minnesota Penn State game at Minnesota this year and it was I think what differentiated that one for me was you know when you go to a game at a team that's that's had success in their sport for a long time there's an expectation you know Wisconsin's always been good at basketball I've seen some great Wisconsin games Michigan State, same thing, football. Minnesota, this was so new to them. And to see that place, having been to that place when it hasn't been full, to see that place full, to be there the night before and feel the, the buzz in the city, to be on the sideline, first play of the game or first drive of the game for Minnesota. They hit Bateman for the long touchdown, the place erupts. And then the, the courts, the field storm was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And as you said, I, I did see Matt Harms. Um, get flicked off by the by the Minnesota fan and I, I mean those are crazy but people were literally jumping down eight foot walls like doing a forward roll and then popping up and like running into me I had a little handy cam that was trying to get some reaction shots and we were on the field forever there was you know 
people were chanting they hated Iowa. I didn't understand why, but they did. And it was just a really great, great, fun environment for Minnesota. So that one, and it was a great game. You know, Penn State almost came back and won that game at the end. Um, so Minnesota that's, fans that's are going to want to get you to more games. You're like the Minnesota version of those uh, storm chaser guys <laughs> that, that try and film themselves getting uh, uh, <laughs> in the middle of the court right. storms. Well, I mean, now, now that you've done it, you know, now that they're, they're, they're trying to be a have and not a have not, you know, they, they don't need my, my good luck charm anymore. So they've, uh, they've earned it, but that was a great game. That was a, you know, the weather wasn't too bad. It was sunny and kind of crisp and, you know, it's what big 10 football should be. Right. So Harold and I do generally, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Harold, but we get to the big 10 tournament games um, for the most part and the big 10 championships. So those are uh, similar to bill as far as, as some of the caliber of events we attend, but you know, even though you, you listed this as an event, Bill, when you sent me this particular topic and, you know, overall event wise, I would say the 2018 Big Ten tournament at mm -hmm. Madison Square Garden was Great. was at the top just because every game pretty much, the exception of a few, were uh, was electric. Um, like the Michigan, Michigan State one on Saturday, semifinal sticks out is, is just being awesome with so many alumni in that area. And then I mentioned the Rutgers Purdue one on the Friday night earlier. Uh, Rutgers, so Indiana event, on Thursday was too, a great yeah. game. Yeah, and just that event, you know, especially with all the criticism it was getting beforehand and for it to not only meet those low expectations but exceed, I think, any high expectations that people had for it was awesome to see. Um, you know, as far as a, a game that I wasn't even covering, actually, I, this is just one that I was at. Uh, I was freshman back to that Illinois basketball season in 2012-13, when they beat Indiana, I was a student oh, at the time, so ran on the court for that one. And again, like that was, you know, my first year um, thinking that this is how it's going to be, right? Like you get to storm the court and celebrate being number one. And for them to do that against like Victor Oladipo's team and Cody Zeller and, and a team they had no business really beating. And, you know, it's kind of doing it in a, a weird way. The game was pretty much over. They were down 10 Big. points, I think, with like five, yeah, five minutes or something. They just kind of had one last burst and a flurry. And all of a sudden you're, you know, storming the court. And, and partying and you know I think it was like a Thursday night or something and it was just an awesome experience and then uh the last one is the even though it came in a loss gotta bring that game up again the the Ohio State Clemson Fiesta Bowl it was just an unbelievable game the swings that happened in that game mm -hmm. and seeing those two great teams in you know my first bowl game that I've ever been to in this past year was uh just a crazy experience so um, you know, there's plenty of games that I wish I attended over the years that, you know, I wonder what it was like to be there. So that can be our next topic of discussion. Um, Bill, what's the best event or the craziest event that you were not at that you look back and kick yourself for not being at, or just wish you could have been there in general? Hmm. That's a good question. Event I wish I was at that I wasn't. Um, and, and if you don't have one off the top of your head, I can go to Harold. Go, why don't you start with Harold? Let me give that, let me, let me noodle that a little bit all right all right uh for me i would go kind of off the board here um i'm gonna go 2015 elite eight versus louisville uh for michigan state and it's a really really personal decision because my dad died earlier in the year and the his funeral was the same day Michigan State lost at home to Illinois. It was like, you know, early February. And they were out. I think they played Northwestern the next game. And they were first four out. 
and like in all the projections, like they weren't even projected to be in a tournament. So they make a run all the way, you know, they get to the Big Ten championship game, lose to Wisconsin. Like, dang, like that could have been a, a nice chance to get a banner of some sort to kind of, you know, remember the season. But then you see the draw and you're like, okay, well, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's somewhat manageable, but you know, you're a seven C, you kind of want to have some limited expectations, but you know, they beat Georgia and they upset Virginia and they upset Oklahoma. And so I've got friends in Connecticut because the game's in Syracuse. So I've got friends in Connecticut that are Michigan State guys. And they're like, hey, is there a way, you know, you can try to get me tickets and this and that. And so uh, a few of them were able to get, you know, make the drive and go up there. And it was – I never heard, like, Michigan State fans in Syracuse like that. I know we got a bunch in the garden, but – like they really, really traveled to Syracuse. And I remember Rick Patino was kind of surprised at like, where are where do these Michigan State fans come from? I'm not used to this. And so the fact that they were down big and it kind of looked like, eh, well, it was a good run, but they, they come all the way back and it looked like they had a game one, but they have to go to overtime instead. And they finally get through it and they win the game. My friends are going crazy and telling me about it. And then you see Denzel Valentine like run up in the crowd, hug his dad. And, both just lose it and it was just like a really really like emotional personal moment for me so that was uh I'll always wish I was there for that but I was glad I was able to live through uh my friends uh with that well I'll give Bill a little more time and I don't have one as as nearly as sentimental as that and I almost feel bad following up with with one that's kind of meaningless but um I do wish I was at the Kentucky Wisconsin final four game in 2015 Uh, yeah I think that would have been an indie nice brag Bill uh, I wish I would have been there, you know, just, just to see uh, an undefeated team that was like 37-0 and 0 go down like that, especially just looking at how talented that team was and, and both teams really just to see them in college uh, out there running. Like, I, it would have been just an awesome experience. And then being in, in Indy, a town that Wisconsin fans know really well, would have been fun, I'm sure, just to soak in the whole experience. And then, you know, any Wisconsin fans listening and, and are fondly remembering that, my football version, I'm gonna flip it on them. Um, I, I wish I would have been at the Wisconsin Illinois football game this past year. I've been at the, the court storming, um, like I mentioned in 2013. I never thought I would see a field storming at that stadium, um, just because of the, the logistics of it. Like the student section is 30 feet right. off the ground, so right. I never thought I'd see something like that again. But uh, it, it hurt a little bit not to be there for what was probably, I don't know if Harold has the, the numbers handy but probably the biggest upset as far as point spread goes in the decade is uh, Illinois was 30 point underdog so that's a significant game uh, looking back as far as uh, perspective goes in the decade so so Bill I hope you had enough time to think about one or two here that you could uh, have been at but we're not see I needed the extra time because I, I didn't go to a Big Ten school so I don't have the emotional attachment the way you guys do to your alma maters I must say I'm jealous I wish I'd I wish I had that, but I don't. Um, but, I, you know, for me, it's, it was October 22nd, 2016. Um, Whiteout, Penn State, Grant Haley returns a fumble. I, I would have just loved to have been on the field for that moment and just heard the roar of the crowd. Now, that night I was in the last row Wrigley Field for game six of the Cubs-Dodgers, so I'm not complaining. But, but that, I just remember checking my phone like, oh, my God, Penn State took the lead. And then I'm like, I, I got to get back to the baseball game. And then I found out how it happened. So, but in, in a, had the, the, the schedules not conflicted that night, I would have loved to have gone to that whiteout game, night game. There's really, you know, I've been around the league and, and there's, 
ever there, you know, you, you know, you're choosing between, you know, uh, you know, different kinds of ice cream for which place has the best environment, but Penn State whiteout at night, it's tough to beat. Yeah. That tough game six, beat. game six built, uh, I'd probably lived in Chicago for like six weeks. And as you know, that was the absolute like madhouse of a scene. I was not at the game, but I, we ran like eighth inning, uh, out of my apartment down to Wrigley field to be there when they finally won. And I think that night was more fun than, as far as a celebration goes than when they won the world series because no that doubt. was Saturday, Saturday night and the world yep. series night was a Wednesday and uh the scene was just a, a little obviously being at home quite a bit better on the ground there um, Sing, single best sports night of my life period a lot of, better than a lot. winning the world series it, it was a scene for sure and I'm sure uh I'm sure Bill and I celebrated in you know similar <laughs> way I'm sure we we're at the same bars afterwards you know maybe uh, <laughs> maybe who knows all right as we uh, wind down a little bit here, I'm curious, Bill, especially on your end with this one, because um, you interviewed quite a few athletes, and, and I have, I guess, as well, uh, just for the podcast over the years, but what is your favorite interviewee of the decade? It could be a player, coach, anybody you've enjoyed talking to, and why? I'll give you a couple. Player-wise, I start and end with Draymond Green. Honest, candid, has a great way of expressing his thoughts not afraid to say what's on his mind, backs it up, friendly, um, going to be a star in the television business when he decides to hang it up. Uh, coach, I uh, always love being around. I mean, we're just blessed to have so many great coaches. Tim Miles, great to be around. Tom Izzo, John Beeline, uh, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, um, so many. Uh, it, it's hard to say. We're blessed with having really wonderful coaches who are great interviews in this conference. But uh, at a player side, Starts and ends with Draymond Green for me. Harold, I know you don't do many interviews one-on-one, uh, -on -one, but who have you enjoyed either coming in contact with yourself or just observing as an uh, employee at the network over the years and seeing so many people on our air? It's kind of hard to top 10 miles just because you didn't really know what he was going to say, and he was always trying to find a way to make you laugh. Um, he, Especially at those like media day press conferences, <laughs> like he'd always open up um, you know, kind of about – how rough of a night he had the night before and he was still, you know, sharp as could be. And, you know, he kind of livened those up because those could be, you know, very formulaic after a while, but like he always found a way to make those fun. Um, and from the player standpoint, I'm kind of cheated a little bit and say just that entire 2015 Wisconsin team, mm -hmm. I think those press conferences they had during the NCAA tournament, like wound up being must see TV because they were so ridiculous together and you can just see the team chemistry that they had, they were able to kind of bounce everything off of each other. Complete goofballs led by uh, <laughs> Kaminsky and Nigel. You know, just, and Nigel. And they just kind of, you know, all followed their lead. And we got to see it all the way through the title game because they were so good. So they were able to back it up on the court. And, you know, I just kind of like things that are fun in settings that don't necessarily have to be. And so the fact that they were able to make them light, I think, was uh, was fun for me. Yeah, for me personally, one of the best interviews that's stuck out to me as far as just an overall enjoyment and, like, engagement on my end, uh, as far as listening to what the guests had to say, was Amir Abdullah. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's actually an interesting story. So now, like, we have all this professional podcast equipment, and we're, like, three years into this thing, and, and we've got kind of a well-oiled machine going now. But when I interviewed Amir, I think it was within the first year of me doing the podcast, and it, the technology was not as sophisticated or widespread back then. And I was doing it kind of in a bootleg garage band fashion. 
And this is the only interview where this has really happened, but the entire thing got deleted before I even got to post it. Oh, no. So here I I come out of like probably one of the best interviews that I've heard as far as the subject goes. And I don't even really remember what we talked about or what he said because it all is lost to history. So, you know, that's one that I just kind of had to point out because I remember being super impressed by it and really crushed that uh, it didn't work out. But I think more good of it has come from that interview than, than what would have, uh, you know, been had it been released because it kind of pushed me to beef up our, our infrastructure a little bit. We now have the, the studio uh, set up back at 600 West Chicago Avenue that is specifically designed now for podcasting. And, and that was kind of the event that really pushed me toward pitching the studio space because I was so upset that, that Amir uh, did not work out. So that's mine and kind of, kind of a, a little twist and wrinkle involved as far as good uh, one. Yeah, that topic goes. Um, all right, sticking kind of the same theme, especially with uh, personal experience, because Bill, as we've mentioned, produces the BTN Journey show. And obviously, there's a lot of interesting, compelling, and sometimes uh, heartbreaking stories that, that stick with you that come out of that show. So, Bill, you've met a ton of people over the years and have covered a ton of stories and put them together. What is the best journey feature of the decade or journey story that you've produced um i know there's been a ton so if you can't pick just one i would not blame you yeah i mean i think first of all a couple thoughts one it speaks to the to the wonderful team that we have on that show that we're able to find these so you know i always am a little uncomfortable when people want to put the credit on my shoulders it's it's the entire team um you know that that dig and find these stories and two it speaks to the quality of the people in the big 10 conference uh, and I just think that's an important thing to remember. Like I never would have thought when I started this job that, uh, you know, our, our kind of well or bank of, of stories would be as deep as it is. And so we're very lucky to have that. Um, a couple that stick out, you know, from a personal side, one that I got to produce when we first started was on, on Mark Titus. Mark, I hope you're listening. Uh, He's not, but... <laughs> we, had a, we had a great time. Uh, well, maybe he is, you know. Uh, we had a great time filming in his apartment. He, he was just so great delivering lines, you know, like on my high school team was, you know, Greg Oden and Daquan Cook and Mike Conley and me, you know, I mean, he was just, you know, I got five fouls. Don't, don't make me take them home. Coach Mata at the NCAA championship game. I mean, he was just a, he really got it. And then to be there on a senior night when he got a trillion, Ohio state clinches the share of the title, he gets carried off the court. You know, as a producer, you can't script it any better than that. Um, we've done a number of other great stories. Uh, Darius Morris comes to mind. Um, was it was a really powerful story on him? Uh, well, but I, I think it's it's hard to it's hard not to to go back to Michigan State and the story we did on on a young girl named Lacey Holsworth, and um, and sadly her her uh, her battle with cancer um, and just the way that you know I will never ever for as long as I forget for as long as I live forget when they're introducing Adrian Payne at senior night and she's standing in the tunnel. And Kevin Shaw, our cameraman, is right there. And Lacey just takes this quick look to the side and then looks back to the front of the court. It's, you almost miss it if you don't know it's coming. And that little shot of, like, what a college athlete can mean to someone in need was, sticks with me. You know, I, 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 myself and the producer of that piece, Samantha Eisenberg, um, we went up to, the, to Lacey's funeral and to see – to be on the floor at, at Breslin Center, um, you know, with Tom Izzo and the entire team and – I don't know, there had to be a couple thousand people there. It really shows you what college athletics can mean to a community 
and that one's hard. Uh, you know, it's a sad story. Um, it has, it has some positive, you know, things that have come from it with, with laces, laces and stuff like that. But it's, um, it's one that I'm, I think our, our team did a very good job of, of telling and capturing and honoring Lacey's spirit. Yeah. And the journey is a show that I consumed before getting to BTN. I didn't know a lot about the guts of BTN before I got to work here. Um, but the journey is something I always tried to, to follow and, and the princess Lacey story was one that I definitely watched at the time. I remember seeing and remember having an impact on me. So that that's definitely probably my, my top one as well, Bill. Uh, I joke about kind of the, the uh, dramatics of the show, because I always say the best ones are the ones you can fit the piano tune into because it's so dramatic and, and it can be sad or it can, it mm -hmm. can emphasize a dramatic moment. It's an iconic, in my opinion, uh, jingle, if you will, that you guys have, have created. And I always tell you to get the piano in there more. So, you know, I say it in jest, but it's, it's true that like, there's so many of those episodes that if the piano's in there, I know it's going to be something that's going to be impactful. So the Lacey one, you know, unfortunately with, with how her battle turned out, obviously it is sad to reflect on, but also was so well done. And another one that sticks out to me since I've, I've worked there uh, has been the Nigel Hayes one, kind of in a similar, a similar uh, vein where he visited a big Wisconsin fan, a dad who ended up also passing away from cancer, but the family was, you know, so touched by him taking time out and not even with the cameras around, like he would just go mm -hmm. and visit this particular guy um, and, and just brighten the guy's day a little bit while he was uh, suffering from terminal cancer. So that's another one that just stuck with me and, and it gave me a little insight into what kind of person Nigel Hayes was and is. So, uh, you know, a couple of, couple of sad ones, but definitely impactful ones. Harold, I know you consume the show as well. What do you have uh, as far as something that the journey has put out in the past decade? It's kind of hard to top Lacey. That was definitely uh, on my list, but I'm kind of going to go down the, the sad route as well. Um, the Dupree McBrayer story, mm -hmm. uh, was, uh, that, that definitely uh, got emotional. That, that hit home. Um, just the fact that you know, his mom, like he and his mom were so tight and she winds up passing and you could tell he's just going through it. And you see the Nebraska basketball team come out mm -hmm. with the shirts and it kind of shows like the whole camaraderie of the league. And, you know, the fact that he had no idea that that was happening and, you know, he winds up, you know, getting a couple buckets, uh, important at a late, you know, late in the game and just the whole interaction with him and Jordan Murphy, like after, and, you know, he's like, hey, you know, we got you and, and all that. So, um, I thought that was a good one. Uh, Jerry Emig and his son, mm -hmm. um, I thought it was a good one because you don't normally see a lot of uh, like non-athletes or non-coaches, you know, get stories. So kind of seeing the guy who's behind a lot of the information of, you know, the best football team that we have in this conference and seeing how he tries to balance everything between the, a high stress job at Ohio State and also dealing uh, with his son's condition, you know, is a kind of a look into like the, the SID world that you don't normally see and how you have to balance all of that. Um, and then on the fun side, you know, we got Georgie, you know, me yep. and Georgie. Uh, surprised you didn't mention that one, Ruby. I know that's your guy, but. We've seen him with Georgie. We, we've had him on the show. I've seen, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've seen plenty of Georgie, so that's why I didn't pick it. That's Co fair. Co Nothing a couple other, couple other honorable mentions is, I think in our history of doing the show, we've only done, 
a single episode on one topic three times. And I thought all three of those shows were very powerful. One was on Sam Foltz, the Nebraska punter, and reuniting with the Wisconsin kicker who would be, um, what was my man's name from Brazil? That oh, escapes Gaglione. me right now. Yeah, Gaglione. And then uh, we did one this year on Howard Moore, which of course for all of us mm-hmm. that knew Howard at BTN was very personal um, and, and very powerful uh, show. And we think of Howard every day. And then we did one that's a little more fun that I thought was one of our, our better shows ever was on the friendship between Denzel Valentine, Bryn Forbes, and uh, Anthony Clemens around the Michigan State-Iowa games when they were seniors and getting their parents together and hearing them tell funny stories about how they never went, they went to prom with no dates because they didn't have anybody that could measure up to the three of them. And uh, I think that was Bryn Forbes' mom who said that. She was terrific. Um, I thought that was a, a fun and, you know, kind of our show at, at its finest. Yeah, all good stuff, fellas. I, I had previously forgotten about the Dupree McBrayer one, but that was, that was another one. Uh, H, like, knowing that his mom worked, I think, at Rikers Island as a yes. uh, corrections officer for her whole career and just obviously, like, one of the toughest ladies around and then finally gets to retirement and gets cancer and dies. It just seemed, you know, so unfair and, and was one that yeah, really stuck out to me. And also, you know, maybe even a bigger fan of Tim Miles because of how he – handled that, you know, as an opposing mm-hmm. coach, honoring and, and um, giving uh, tribute to, to Dupree McBrayer. So glad you brought that one up. Um, so we got to peek behind Bill Friedman's uh, curtain into his world a little bit. H, the next category is for you. What is your best stat of the decade, with you being the, uh, the stat head, the researcher at the BTN? I'm waiting for uh, this one. I am waiting for this one. I just want you to know, Harold, there's a lot of pressure right now. So bring it. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to disappoint you, honestly. Because, <laughs> um, for me, for whatever reason, and I, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the, the, the thing that stands out to me the most of the whole decade is 408. Like it, for whatever reason, that just sticks out to me the most. And maybe it's because of how I saw it happening. The fact is that, that the, is that the room, your room in Indy room number? <laughs> no, no, that, that was Melvin going crazy uh, in Madison on a, a snowy November day against Nebraska. And we're watching him, you know, yeah. hurdle tacklers down the sideline and, you know, break an NCAA record, you know, that stood for forever and, you know, LaDainian Tomlinson congratulating him afterward and, you know, hearing the 408 from the Wisconsin, uh, you know, play Matt, Matt LaPay, yeah. Weeks and weeks afterward and, you know, just the fact that that, be- that became such a huge story and trying to, you know, put perspective on it and, you know, the fact how many other guys can, you know, run for 400 or, you know, most. Uh, rushing yards in a game, Bix in history. Like when you get a moment like that, that happens in the game that you don't expect, you know, like your antennas have to go up and you're constantly looking for different stuff. And so that was uh, when you, when you get something like that, it really, like you have to put your thinking cap on and figure out the best ways to tell it and try to figure out the best ways to find it. And so, you know, it's not one of those where, you know, throughout the week I'm looking and trying to figure out some stuff. Um, the, the reactionary ones are kind of more fun for me. Um, but I know there was one, I want to say Dennis Dodd wound up using it before the Ohio State Penn State game in State College. I think it was uh, with Haskins, so it had to be 2018. And it was like the first time that Big Ten often the Big Ten teams were first and second in scoring 
entering a matchup when they were playing each other. And like Dennis Dye wound up reaching out to me and like used it in a piece that he had for CBS. So that was pretty cool. That's great. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of the Ohio State, I think 2018 season, uh, mine is Haskins throwing 50 touchdowns. I remember Harold, you and I, when we were doing our segment, talked about, you know, maybe like week five or six. Like, you think you get to 50 and we both kind of downplayed it and then he ended up doing it. And then even like last year, Fields and getting 51 total touchdowns. I know Haskins, I think, getting 50 passing is, in my opinion, more impressive um, just because passing touchdowns are so much harder to come by. But 51, you know, any way you get them is crazy. So just unbelievable production from the Ohio State quarterback position. Um, Bill, what do you got stat-wise? To me, I I can only think of stats. If if I can think of them without looking them up, that means it's impressive. And to me, that would be, I think, Urban Meyer, like Big Ten conference record, he lost like six times. Right, Harold? Am I missing it? Twice to Michigan State. Once okay. to Iowa, once to Purdue, and once to Penn State. Maybe it's five. Yeah, I think it's Man, just five. The guy lost five conference games in seven years. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I, I kind of forget that um, until it resurfaces for whatever reason and, and puts in perspective how dominant he was. Um, all right, before we wrap up, we have two more, and they're both moment-related. So they're kind of similar, and, like, you know, even if we – overlap a little bit here i don't think it's a big deal but uh, best single moment of the decade and i think this can be whatever uh you know however you want to frame it and just for context the, the final one is a moment you'll always remember where you were when it happened so like that i think is more of um you know just a, a significant frozen time moment but the, but the the first one i mentioned the single moment can be really anything whether it's a, an outcome of a game or just uh, the context of the, of the situation, making things more important than, you know, they otherwise would be. Um, so, Bill, I'll go to you. What's your best just singular moment of the decade? Hmm. I mean, there are a lot to choose from. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be a little creative here, you know, think of things like uh, Devin Gardner coming over to shake JT Barrett's hand when he breaks his ankle. Um, think of uh, – you know, Christian Watford's shot, just what that meant and the, the celebration after. She did a whole um, show on it. I just did. Uh, that was a powerful moment, you know. By the way, um, uh, the Jones family enjoyed it. I talked to, to Clayton, Verdell's oh, nice. little brother, a couple weekends ago. They, they were very uh, impressed. Verdell was terrific interviewing that. Terrific. Yeah. Um, thank him for us, please. Uh, man, best moment. That is really, really hard. Um, I mean, I think of, of after Michigan State won the Big Ten basketball tournament, Harold, when, when Lacey came on and cut down the final yeah. strand of the net and holds it up, and our cameraman, Kaline Shounce, got a, just an amazing, amazing image of that shot. Um, that was a powerful moment. Um, honestly, this past March, like driving home from Indy was a powerful moment. Right. Um, was, wasn't how we wanted it to end, but uh, – I have somewhere one of those four probably for me. I, I, that's a that's a lousy answer, Alex. Um, but uh, it's hard. I mean, I, I'm not sure I could pick one. Again, I don't have the I don't have the emotional ties to a school the way you guys do. It might be a little easier for you guys to answer that. Harold, what do you got? Uh, I tried to frame this question by uh, importance to the league, and so I went with kind of a tie and was cheating. But um, Wisconsin beating Kentucky in the Final mm-hmm. Four just kind of seeing that and people waiting for that matchup, like all tournament long because of what happened the year before 
when they lost on a, a three by Aaron Harrison and all those guys came back to kind of avenge that. And they were both one seeds, collision course. And, you know, Wisconsin pulls it off and you hear jump around playing it at Lucas Oil and knowing that Wisconsin fans are going to flood that place on Monday. That certainly stuck out. And then I think it's just that the, the 2015 playoffs or the 2014 season where Ohio State, you know, winds up beating Alabama and, and killing Oregon uh, to win the, the national title, you know, our only national title in football and basketball for the decade. And so the fact that it just kind of all came together with Cardell, you know, at the helm and Zeke just going crazy, like they kind of figured out a template that worked for them. And the fact that they were able to, you know, upset Nick Saban and then control the Heisman winner and Mariota and kind of run away with both of those games. I think those are probably the two, the two best moments. Harold, one more for you, because I was think I was sitting next to you when this happened, and that was the Jalen Watts Jackson. Yeah. That's okay. 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 <laughs> I don't want to ruin your thunder. Uh, I also throw out the Derek Pardon basket yeah. to beat Michigan and to mm-hmm. see Northwestern make the tournament. You know, for a kid that grew up in Evanston. That was a pretty – I have no – didn't go to Northwestern. Don't, don't, not a homer. But it was a, that was a pretty big, pretty big deal for the conference and certainly for the university. Yeah, all good moments, gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to go with one that, you know, was a, a crazy game, but it was carried more significance than just the final score. Um, the moment that sticks out to me is kind of everything leading up to the Purdue-Ohio State 2018 football game yes. with Tyler Trent's situation yes. because, you know, it, it was interesting – seeing it all unfold because I had met Tyler months That's before right. um, in, at the Big Ten tournament in March. So we had like been in contact. I knew his story and to see him get more and more attention and then it all kind of culminate in the college game day story. And that particular game was honestly unbelievable just because I, you know, I saw him go from a well-known person on campus. Like he, he was a super fan that got some maybe local pub, pub, uh, publicity, but then he just turned into this nationwide hero pretty much overnight it was unbelievable and then you see I remember watching on Friday night when the preview came out and then Saturday morning on college game day when they uh had the Tom Rinaldi feature and he predicted they would beat Ohio State and it's like oh you know that's cute but not gonna happen and then (laughs) you watch the game and it's an absolute beatdown and it's a weird mix of feelings because you're watching the Big Ten's like college football playoff chances Mm -hmm. out the window and it doesn't even matter like you don't care at all because you're watching something you know truly special unfold and you just see you know his his dream come true and and Purdue fans rush the field and then his popularity just skyrockets over the next couple of months and it was just crazy to see you know this kid that I had met and kind of got to know a little bit just become like I said a national hero so that was just really awesome um and and something that I think will be really tough to be topped in the uh you know upcoming decade or whenever we're uh reflecting on this type of thing in the future. Um, so that's pretty much all I got for that one. But, but I, I agree, Bill, that you mentioned as far as like to wrap up a, a moment that maybe not necessarily is, is a final score, but it's something that you just kind of sit and freeze. And, and it's one of those always remember where you were moments when, when you heard about it. And for this, I, I did something that, you know, not, not that I was in attendance for, but just uh, kind of consuming as, as a regular citizen. And I know it shouldn't even really count because the all decade team was from 2010 to 19. So like you mentioned, driving home from Indy um, was in 2020 and kind of falls right. outside the purview of this, but we're going to count it anyway, because it was, it's just been so significant and has affected our lives so much. So 
Harold and I had already been called back from Indy, um, or we had never even got to go because uh, just the, the way the travel restrictions worked out. So when March 11th happened, and that date's always going to stick with me now because that's when the sports world shut down, uh, it was just kind of a surreal feeling watching our Twitter feeds kind of blow up with the NBA canceling the season or suspending the season and all the other leagues following suit. And then watching like Fred Hoiberg looking like he has coronavirus on the bench, even though luckily it turned out he did not. And just everything screeching to a halt that night was just crazy. So that's something that uh, I will always remember. And I'm going to count it in this particular uh, parameters of the discussion because it was just so surreal. I don't think anything will really compare. So uh, Harold, I'll, I'll toss it over to you as far as a, a moment that kind of stopped you in your tracks. Uh, well, it's one of the most memorable plays in college football history. I don't think there's uh, any way we can get around this one. Um, full disclosure, I'm in the green room. Uh, we're waiting to go on air. Uh, it's the final 10 seconds of a game in 2015. I believe it was October 17th. It is. Um, you know, Michigan's getting ready to punt the ball. I put my head down. I'm like, man. This was gonna lose. This hardball stuff's gonna go crazy. I'm like, man, I really, we really need a bad snap right now. <laughs> oh, like that actually happened. And so I look up and I hear, oh, there's trouble with the snap. And everything after that just went in slow mo. <laughs> and so uh, the ball gets loose. Jalen Watts Jackson picks it up. And at this point, I'm like looking at the clock and I'm like, okay, should he go down at some point? All right, should he get out of bounds at some point? Should he try to kick a field goal? And he's running closer to the end zone. I'm like, I hope he gets there before time runs out. Is there a flag? Like, I'm look, like I'm thinking about all these things that is going on because it's just completely playing in slow motion in my head. And he scores, and I'm still looking for the flag. Never comes. So then I remember just the absolute roar going throughout the building people that were in the green room running into the hallway because they couldn't believe what they saw. Like just complete pandemonium everywhere uh, throughout the entire building, mosh pits happening because they couldn't believe what was going on. And just the whole time I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. And knowing that that moment is going to live on forever in college football history and for it to be that game, that opponent, that's gonna, I don't know how you could top that in terms of like, what just happened kind of moment. I'm going to piggyback on that age. First of all, you Michigan State fans lead a charmed existence. Like I hear you (laughs) reflecting on all these moments in the last decade and, you know, it'll be hard to top 20, the 2020s will be hard to top uh, the 2010s as far as just like all these moments. Um, So first of all, jealous on that front, but yeah, I have a funny story about that play and I'd forgotten about this until uh, just now when you guys mentioned it, but I was, it was my senior year of college and I was actually in Chicago um, at a friend's place and we were watching the game kind of following it throughout like just having it on the background um, and we just happened to head out for our you know wherever we were going that night this is in Lincoln Park near the DePaul campus and we, we headed out the door right before the trouble with the snap play and we just thought the game was over and there happens to be a, a restaurant bar um, that was a Michigan State affiliated bar just like outside, like down the street. And so we were walking down Fullerton Avenue to go wherever we were were going. This bar is just going crazy. I'm like, (laughs) I walked by this earlier. This is a Michigan State bar. Did they win the game? You know, like what happened? So I I 
found out that way that that play had happened. It, I kicked myself for not staying in front of the TV for like one more minute. I didn't see it live, but uh, just crazy. Well, Harold, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I was in the green room with you and I'll never forget just the looks of shock on everyone's face. You know, I mean, you had a, you know, as a Michigan State alum, you had a little bit of a rooting interest, but, you know, our guys are all pros there who are on camera and they were just shocked because it was just such an amazing ending. And, and my thoughts after I got over the shock was, oh my God, we have our journey cameras there. And I knew they, I knew they were working, you know, to get all the reaction and hopefully in the locker room. So I waited the right amount of time and I called one of our cameramen who happens to be a Michigan State alum. And I was like, tell me you got the shot. And he's like, oh, yeah, we got it. And I was just like, that's as happy as you can be. And he's like, not only that, you know, Kevin, who, who's our cameraman, Kevin Shaw, he was on the Michigan State sideline preparing to get their dejected reaction at the end of the game. And what he ended up getting was really the only shot of the Michigan State bench. The network cameras weren't positioned. And so we have really the only reaction shot. It's a great shot where he runs behind the players into the dog pile uh, in, the, in the corner of the end zone there. So that was just a cool that, – that, I'll never forget that moment, Harold. But uh, I'll try to give you another one for me just to, uh, to, to kind of put, put a bow on all this. But 2011 Big Ten tournament for me was – I started with Taylor Battle. I'm going to end with him. Um, you know, they knew they had to make it, and they'd been really kind to us as a show, the journey. And so we were in every pregame locker room, and, and we're kind of vested with them at this point. Like, we're, the farther they go, the better it is for the show. We're getting more access. We're, we're getting all this. And they win that game. And I remember asking their SID, Brian Segrist at the time, Stretch, I said, can, you know, can we go back to the hotel with you? And he's like, we're staying at the Omni, meet us there. So, you know, this is like the fourth game of the day or third game of the day. We're exhausted. My cameraman – or the second game, it was, it was Saturday. And we go over – and we wait for them. And like, where's the bus? Where's it taking forever? I'm almost pulled the plug. And it was like, let's just go. No. And then here they come right off the bus. And we get in right behind Coach DeCellis. And we had no idea. But there was a huge Penn State contingent there. And they lined the little entranceway. And at the Omni, you may remember it from the, when Wisconsin beat Kentucky. They had that great shot of all the people. Well, there was, it wasn't that big. But they had enough people up there. And to see the joy on Taylor Battle's face knowing that he knew he was going to make the NCAA tournament as he walked in and he's raving his hand and they're singing the, I believe we will win song. And I'm right there. I'm like in literally in the line with our cameraman. I still get chills thinking about that. And every time I watch that footage, it brings a smile to my face. That was, that's what our show should be is to capture in the behind the scenes, things people don't see. Nobody would have seen that then maybe now with cell phones, they would. Um, with, with uh, you know, more cameras. At that time, there wasn't a ton of cameras on your phones. And that was just an amazing, amazing moment. And uh, one I'll always remember. So glad they made the tournament that year. Well, well said, Bill. Good stuff, fellas. Um, you know, if anyone stuck with us through this hour plus uh, discussion, you know, shout out to them. But even if nobody did, I don't care because I had a lot of fun just chatting with you guys and reminiscing and and discussing some of our favorite moments and, you know, kind of remembering just how fun all this is and, and hoping that we get back to it sooner rather than later because we took it for granted a little bit. You know, I, I know I did. I, I guess I won't speak for you guys, but kind of hearing all these things again kind of snapped me out of this day-to-day, -day, repetitive, monotonous life we've been living the last three and a half months and, and it's making me hungry to get back to normal life. So I appreciate you guys talking sports with me. Uh, I feel very lucky to do this job and get to consume some of these moments from those angles and 
uh, yeah, just appreciate it. And I hope everyone listening enjoyed it as much as we uh, enjoyed talking about it. Thanks, Alex. It was great. And I think you, you know, I, I always, one of the things that I think about people I know who work in the industry is they have terrific memories and both of you do. And it's great to hear your memories and remember all these great moments that we've been charmed to, to get to cover and, and get paid to do for our, our vocation. Yeah, fully agree. Uh, definitely happy to be on. Always good to be on and talk. Uh, some some memories and talk sports in general. It's always fun. Um, you know, just thinking about that that 2015 game and everything that that, that went on with that moment. Like that was kind of fun reliving all of that and reliving how a college football Saturday works. And uh, if you guys want to have some fun, uh, the, co the college football Reddit. If you just look up. No, whoa, he has trouble with the snap. There's literally schools from every, like from all over the place that just fill in Sean McDonough's call, like one word at a time. You could be a Clemson fan, an LSU fan, an Auburn fan, an Alabama fan, and then you just see Michigan fans like, uh, not again. And so like, <laughs> but that's what college sports does. And like the fact that we could talk about these memories and stuff like that, like it, it definitely makes me, you know, miss the sports and I'm ready to get back. Michigan's got a lot of good memories too. Like, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. On B, the, the Anthony Carter touchdown from way back, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's they got some good memories too to put on Aloha the old Island. CFB Reddit, Reddit, excuse me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot this is a Michigan geared podcast with Staskis on. So I think we've <laughs> lost all the Wolverine fans by now. But anyway, guys, we'll, uh, we'll do it again, you know, if we're lucky enough in 2030. Um, and we'll, we'll run it back. So thanks, fellas. Put it on my calendar right now, Alex. I'll be all there. Right. Zoom meet, ready for it. Thanks again to Nick, Harold, and Bill for joining the show. Like I said uh, before that last segment, a lot of stuff to get to, but uh, it was a lot of fun talking about it with those guys. And, you know, if you have time to kill on the long weekend, give it a listen. And I don't think you'll regret it. I think it was a pretty fun interview to, or a pretty fun pair of interviews to conduct. And I hope you agree that they're fun to listen to as well. Have a happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. We'll continue to roll out podcasts uh, over the summer break, I guess we can call it, since there still are no sports in session and there wouldn't be any college sports anyway this time of year. So uh, we'll probably slow the pace down a little bit just with things slowing down, but we'll continue to roll episodes out at a semi-regular cadence. So stay tuned. Thanks once again to everyone for listening. Thanks as always to Julie Bronder for producing the show. Please review and rate us on the podcast platform of your choice. And please remember that you can watch our interviews with our primary guests like Nick Stauskas on BTN's YouTube channel now on the Take 10 podcast. So go ahead and subscribe on YouTube to Big Ten Network and watch these interviews in their entirety. Um, they are a good time to kind of see the guests uh, react and, and answer the questions as they unfold. So do that. And like I said, have a great weekend, have a great holiday, and we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.